0: The Quahog was feeling about half-past dead, I just need a place where I can get some head. Hey mister can you tell me where a man might get some top? He just grinned and he would come here I'll suck your slop, take a load off quagmire. Take a load from me, take a load off Quagmire, and you'll take the load off for free. There is a lot more of this, so get ready. I picked up my dick, I went looking for a place to hide. When I saw Stewie and Brian walking side by side, I said, hey, Stewie, man, I just got some fucking head. He said, Brian, the funny talking dog would gladly do that for you again. Take a load off, Brian. Take a load from me. Take a load off, Brian. And you'll take the load all for free. All right, moving right along. (laughs) Go down to the clam, see the gang squeezed in a booth. Peter Quagg and Cleveland, all sucking with extra tooth. Well, Joe, my friend. My balls are feeling dry. He said, I'm no expert, sir, but I'll be happy to oblige. Take a load off Joseph. Take a load from me. Take a load off Joseph. And you'll take the load all for free. All right. This is the big one. One
1: more.
0: Peter Griffin followed me back to his humble abode. He said, I don't know about you, but I could take another load. I said, wait a minute, Peter. Doesn't Lois live here too? Then she opened the door and said, gentlemen, it's time to screw. Take a load off Lois Take a load from me Take a load off Peter And you'll take the load off for free Final verse Let's do it (laughs) Let's do it everyone One more verse Oh boy Put my clothes on, and I head on out the door. From the other room, I hear the train won't be here till about four. And what do you know? It's my good friend Mason M. (laughs) Getting sucked by a creepy old man whose throat was full of phlegm. Take a load from Mason Oh, take <laughs> it off free <Marie. laughs> and when yeah. you're done dear Herbert you can't finish sucking me all right, no. I think that is uh <laughs> I think you that's my that yourself yeah that's my I new favorite song of all time actually like any song that's ever existed that's actually just my my new favorite song um i had a lot of fun writing that <laughs>
2: i can tell what's the title i can tell
0: what's the title yeah
2: um
0: probably the load <laughs> probably the load <laughs> i'm going to go with mm. it's a working title though it could change so um, I'm done, so I'm gonna let Mason. <laughs> I'm gonna let Mason take it, take it from here. Any any thought? Any thoughts about that, Mason, or just you're feeling good?
2: I'm um, you know me. I don't have thoughts, <laughs> but I'm. I'm
0: it's interesting. It's interesting that you don't have thoughts and yet you speak the most. <laughs> yeah. Those without those with nothing to say speak longest. I guess is the ancient Chinese <laughs> proverb on that one.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: absolutely. Welcome to it's on the list. My name Welcome. is my name is Noah Marger. With me as always, taking a load from me <laughs> every single week. Mason McGuire, Mason, feeling all right?
2: Uh, I'm feeling all right. I I am, I was drinking some some sparkling water, some Lacroix, a, cher, a cherry bubbly, which is a great drink. The cherry bubbly is is probably my favorite favorite beverage. Um. Honestly, it's delicious. Uh, but I ran out, and now I want to. Now I want some more water. But the show has started. Yeah, and yeah, I don't have the kind of situation that. So in the middle of that or towards the end of that, no, I don't know if you saw, but our esteemed guest today did get up and get himself a little snack from the fridge. Would you mind sharing what you got <laughs> from the fridge there <laughs> with All the right. class, <laughs>
3: ladies and gentlemen? Today I got a Belgioso Fontina. 70 calorie cheese snack.
2: What the fuck? Mm. What do we? That is a happy snack.
3: Wow! Great little happy little cheese snack.
0: From
2: it's an nice. Italian cow, it sounds like.
3: It's not crunchy. It's 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 potable. It's like a potable snack. You know, so you can eat it while you're on a podcast because you're not like.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Okay. Yeah, a okay. potable <laughs> snack. Okay. Yes. Okay. Very, <laughs> very good. <laughs> okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, I just got water. Regular, regular old yeah. H2O. I don't really eat on mic, except for when I'm uh, feeling insane. Then I'll eat a little you should, bit on mic. get some of these Belgiosios.
2: Yeah, I was eating a, a crunchier snack, uh, which, was, which was some dark chocolate almonds with sea salt and cocoa. Jesus. That I got from Walgreens. They're delicious. <laughs> They're pretty good and a pretty cheap snack. You um, ever put those
3: I'm, in Worcestershire sauce? <laughs>
2: I <laughs> know uh, but that's a great that's a great suggestion we'll try that right. next time well
0: we got a lot of ideas floating around this podcast early we have not even cracked into what we're supposed to be talking about yet and we just have so many ideas floating around but All right, uh, get going. keep going okay keep going thanks get going um, oh get going okay thanks um well thanks for being here everyone once again no matter where you are in the world thanks for being here I'm gonna introduce the guest Mason can I introduce the guest hey. You know him? <laughs> okay. Well, I'll introduce him then. Thanks, man. That's not really what I asked if I know him or not. I know I know him. You don't have to tell me that shit, bro. Come on now. Our guest today, all the way from a beautiful Redmond, Oregon. Sorry if you didn't want me to say that. Uh, is a director, editor, and cinematographer known for his short films Falling Apart and Manther. Please welcome to the show the one and only Ben Massey. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for being here. Yes! Snap! 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 Clap! Clap! Woo. Clap! 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 clap, clap. Right I can do the clap, clap on the clap. desk. Ben.
3: Thanks. Please, please settle down, and everybody, please. Settle down, Noah. All okay. right.
0: Sorry. 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 Ben, what's the vibe today?
3: Uh, the vibe today is kind of chilling. You know, getting my getting my thoughts in order for the pod. Yes, dude. Getting some of my physical yeah. belongings in order as I'm. Leaving on a trip tomorrow, so uh Oh mm. I gotta get get some get some stuff together.
0: Where are we going? Can we can we going? say?
3: Uh yeah. Yeah, I'm going to Hawaii.
0: Oh I don't have a luau theme, but I do this is the drop of the episode, so I'll just play instead.
3: Okay.
1: <laughs> Love it.
0: Hawaii is most notably associated with that sound. Yeah, with Dracula. Because we are going dark <laughs> this is a guy this in a
2: flowery shirt and a lay sitting behind a huge organ
0: and doing... <laughs> what is the name of that piece of music? Are we... Toccata?
2: Toccata and Fugue.
0: Yes. That's awesome. You knew that. Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Love that for you, Mason. What island? Or are we doing multiple islands? Are we doing luau's? we doing hula dancing? What are we doing?
3: No luau's. Just, you know, some Thanksgiving celebrations. Okay. Some cooking, some fishing, Uh, Big Island. Let's go. Going to be up in Waimea, which is like a little farm town about 15 minutes north of the beach. Um, So it's kind of in like the highlands. It's
0: nice. Is that on the Hilo or the Kona side?
3: It's in between them. It's about an hour. It's about an hour. It's like in between the two mountains. Okay. So it's an hour outside of both.
0: Damn. That is not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to be like, it's on the Kona side, or it's on the Hilo side. but you hit I mean, it's, me it's, kinda, it's,
3: it's, on, it's like a little more towards the, the Kona side, but it's kind of right, like literally right in between them. So yeah. it's right in the middle.
0: You're going to be doing some normal ass it was Waimea you
2: were going to? What it what? You, you said you were going to Waimea?
0: Waimea, yeah.
2: Waimea, yeah. So when they write the newspaper, do you think they ask, who maya, what maya, when why? maya, why maya? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Where?
0: (laughs) Oh, no. Good Lord. Good Lord. What is it? Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition? That's what I need right now. I need some fucking ammunition, baby, for this episode. I need a gun at the ready. Uh, Are we doing traditional turkey on Thanksgiving, or are we going to be going Hawaiian style? I think we're going to be doing a little bit of both. Nice. So
3: Yeah, it'll be tasty. But uh, enough about my... (laughs) <laughs> Travel plans. This, this, we got some depth in, to cover in this episode. Yeah. I think we should we should we jump do. right in. We
0: should jump right we in. We have some
2: places. We do, but before we get to that, we do actually have a an email to okay. get to, and somewhat of a follow up actually. But um, uh oh, so we we received the the email on uh, November thirteenth. Uh, with the subject headline and you can email everybody wants to the number two get on the list at gmail.com and we will most likely read your email um on the air or respond to it when i get to it which is because i'm the only one with the keys to the email yeah. <laughs> inbox yep. so we get this email titled squid game from ryan maloney yo <laughs> yeah, <again. laughs> um I had a new idea. So this kind of actually brings us back, Noah. We haven't talked about this in a while, but we do are still the presidents of Quibi. Yes, and, that's true. Uh, it's true. We haven't been really putting out a lot of content, but it's no. It doesn't cost too much to keep like that domain available. We're just yeah. like, kind of sitting on it. So, so I think th- th- Ryan might be onto something here with a pitch. Okay. Actually, uh, so he said I had a new idea for a game show. The name of the game show is Stinky Poo Train contestants would board a train car with the goal of staying on the train longer than their competitors the twist the train smells like stinky poo and boy does it stink okay imagine the worst porta potty you've ever stepped foot in but cranked up to 11 maybe they would also have to do mini games throughout like ski ball or duck duck goose just spitballing do you think mason would win or would Noe win or maybe i would win the cash prize is a crisp ten dollar bill hugs and kisses
0: Thanks for the email, Ryan. Uh you don't stand a fucking chance against me on that one. My life is just one perpetual shitstorm. So I am so used to that smell, that beautiful shit smell, that I, it's that's just not gonna you're just not gonna cut it against me on that. I'm winning the ten dollar prize. I will be captain of the of the poo-poo train, is what I'm calling it now. The poo poo
2: train is what I'm so calling. So we're it. green lighting it under the title Poo Poo Train. Yep. Uh Noe, wouldn't you know it? I got that email on the thirteenth. And I wanted to get back to him as fast as possible, so I just replied my answer to this. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for your inquiry. Noah would win. Your <laughs> little kissy face. Ben, how long do you think
0: you could last on the poo-poo train?
3: I have—I would say I have, a, I have a pretty deep poo tolerance. Like, it yeah. runs deep. Like, I could, if, you know, I've been in some backcountry pit toilets, um, <laughs> Some, you know, some ones that have been kind of baking in like the hot Arizona yeah. sun for maybe weeks, months on end. Sure. And like they're dudes that go out there and they'll chug like 15 Keystone lights and then eat like <laughs> a, a whole hog, you know, and then go and just annihilate that that pit.
2: So uh, I think I'd give Noah a run for his money. <laughs> and I'm just thinking like, I want, like, an- another, he's not in the chat with us, but another poo warrior that that's in our lives is Thomas Sardarian and that yeah. man has seen some some toilets. <laughs> I want to know what how what would his endurance be in stinky poo train? I feel like he has a chance <laughs> to take the whole thing. I think he's. Well, I think
0: yeah. For sorry, go for it, man. Go for it.
3: I think being being in a stinky poo train where it just smells like stinky poo. You know, you get, you, you probably get used to the smell pretty quickly, right. especially if you got a, you got a task to, to do, you know, if you're winning the game, if you're trying to win 10 bucks, 10, crisp, <laughs> crisp ten $1 bills. Yeah. I think that, you know, that, that'd be pretty easy. But yeah. if you were covered in, covered in slick stinky poo, or if there was, it was full yeah. of stinky poo, I think then, you know, then that might up the stakes a little bit. I yeah. think Thomas might have us all. If that were the case. If we were all covered in He's shit. He's
2: like the Chris Evans of the Snowpiercer train. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. the Pooh piercer. <laughs> he, he piercer.
0: Poo piercer. He is the Pooh Piercer. I was going to say Thomas might be like OP in that game. So he might have to like be like the like first ballot ever inductee to like the Pooh Train Hall of Fame or something like that. Oh, sure. Or act as like commissioner of the game or something yeah. like that. Because I like that. I just don't think it'd be fair like at that point. You know what I mean?
2: I, uh that's a fair point that's a great point. Uh um, Thanks man. So that's thank thanks Ryan for your email. Thank you Ben um for joining us on the Poo train. Thank you <laughs> Noah for being I'll for hop on the poo, the poo train anytime. Send me an invite. I'll be there. <laughs> All right. Well,
0: we're I'll bring flying to my, Hawaii I'll bring this my week. Own poo. Oh, my man. Okay. Okay, my man. Uh well, we already heard the noise, but I'll play it again because this week folks, it's on the list is going dark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or something like that, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <You're
2: welcome. laughs> he, he, he and a couple of tra-la-las, that's how we like the day away in the merry old land of bonds. <hotels> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> 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 Shut the fuck up. <laughs>
0: but we are going dark this episode. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ben, you brought us two things. You chose both the album and the movie. What is the album that you selected, sir?
3: The album is a uh, an album by the band by the name of Tool. Yeah? It is their, I believe, third studio, fourth studio album.
0: I think you're correct, yes. Fourth studio fourth album. Fourth studio
3: album called 10,000 Days. Um i'm a big tool fan and a lot of people i don't know there's all sorts of levels of tool fans um you know so some some in the tool verse don't like Ten Thousand days um mm. and it's it's got some it's got its detractors and the ones to who, who sing its praises so i thought it would be a good one to discuss
0: i agree i genuinely no no sarcasm yeah. detected on that one this is uh I had a journey with this when I was listening to it for the first time. But before we get into it on a on a before we before we crack this fucker open, so to speak, uh, Ben, what is your history not only with this album but Tool in general? When did you first get into them? What was your intro point? How is your what's your evolution with them, Ben? What's your what's your history?
3: Um, I've been listening to Tool for pretty much as long as I can remember. Honestly, it wow. was kind of like the. The few bands that – well, not few. like So my parents had a big collection of albums, you know, like as most parents in the 90s do because sure. there's no fucking streaming. So you've got records and CDs and stuff. So um, my my dad had a couple Tool records. Um, and in addition to, like, other stuff like Beck and Metallica and Ozzy Osbourne and, like, some of these other records. So they were just kind of in my con- – I had my, like, little Sony Walkman. Absolutely. I had them a little – my little mm-hmm. book with all the different CDs. Yes, dude. Um, yeah. So I had, uh, you know, I was probably like eight years old, and I had like Tool and Metallica, Led Zeppelin, um, Ozzy Osbourne, like all these different albums that I just listened to constantly in the rotation. Um, so that was, uh, that was kind of my, like I didn't really think much of Tool. They were just like cool rock band, you know, like all these other cool mm-hmm. rock bands.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro.
3: Um, so then I went and uh, visited some some friends, some family and family friends in Alaska. And there was like, a f- f- my cousin had a friend who was older, and he was like, "Yo, let me let me burn you a mixtape." Yes. Like, let me put all your favorite songs on on a mixtape, and I was like, sick. Yes. So we like went through and like put all these songs on this mixtape, and one of them was "The Pot" by Tool. So okay. Mm. Um, I had this this little mixtape, this little record that I made when I was like nine years old. I listened to it so much it like, you know, it got all fried from from spinning in the disc player too much. Sure. It started skipping a lot. So uh that was a song on there. So I've been listening to Tool for a long time but didn't like get into Tool in terms of like well from like a musical perspective and also from like a philosophical perspective until I was in my, you know, late teens, early twenties. So, I kind of you know skipped over him in high school a little bit cuz I was kind of like trying to find new music and shit. But you always come back to the classics.
0: You always end up coming back That's to true. Tool. as as all of us end up doing. We're all going to we start from Tool, we go away from Tool and then by the end we are tethered back to the Tool. Um yeah. Mason, what about you? What's your history yes. with this um, band or this album?
2: So, I had said that I had heard this album before and I was incorrect on that. Oh. I had heard the other uh, Maynard James Keenan project, A Perfect Circle, before uh, in okay. high school. Um, mm-hmm. Tool was always a he- – but I remembered this album cover so specifically f- like just seeing it on my library shelf. And I never checked it out, but I always thought that the t- cover was super cool. And I also thought – like I had a friend in high school that was – and I've mentioned him in the past. But he was into like metal and like this this kind of stuff when we were in high school. But I never – A Perfect Circle was my, like, kind of way into that particular universe. So this was a new to me, basically. And – to yeah. And – but Tool, like, has always just been, like, kind of a huge – there's a lot of different things I think you talk about when you talk about Tool. Almost, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a huge <laughs> act. It's – uh some people have, like, very polarized opinions about, <laughs> about uh, the act in, in Maynard James Keenan, as I've gathered. Um – but this is my first time like ever hearing the music. Noah. Yo. How about you?
0: Yo, let's tell do us, it.
2: Tell let's, us about Tool.
0: Let's get into this. Let's get into this. So, I think the first time I ever heard a Tool song was I believe and maybe you guys know better than I do. I isn't Schism in one of the Rock Band games, like Rock Band 2 or something like that? Oh, I
3: can't remember. I can't recall. Was it in? It might have been in. It was either in Rock Band or Guitar Hero.
0: It was one of them. But it's Schism's yeah. the one that's like. Was around so. that era, right? So I think that was the first time I ever heard a tool song in my life. And I just thought it was so boring when I heard it in, in, in Graduate. <laughs> and I was like, or not Graduate, excuse me, Rock Band. I was like, this shit is so boring. This sucks. I was a teenager, you know, or like late middle school or whatever, playing this game, doing the guitar shit. And I was just like, all right, let's just get to the next one. But I remember. Tool, the name Tool, so clearly. And I remember that it was called Schism. Like, I just remember that. It, like, left an imprint on me, but I was like, Mm -hmm. this is boring. Like, I just was, like, so not about it when I was, like, 14, 13, or however old I was. Um, And then, the next time I even ever heard Tool, I was in the car with Ben. We were driving back to Orange County from Los Angeles, prepping for a little movie you may have heard of called Manther. And Ooh. we're in the car, and Ben says to me, Do you mind if I put on some music? I said, No, not, not, not at all. Go, <laughs> go ahead. Find by me. And it's tool. <laughs> and it's just like. Like it like sounds like pipes being drained or something like that to me. Like just this like garbled, just like cacophony sound. And I don't like. Hate it, but I'm very, like, off-put by it, like, at first. Like, it's a little off-putting to Mm -hmm. me. And so then, I don't even think I said anything. I think I was just quiet and, like, just listening to the music. And unprompted, Ben's like, yeah, there's this whole, like, mathematical system going on (laughs) with the way that the music works and, like, all that stuff. And he just started diving in to, like, the lore and, you know, the, like, behind-the-scenes stuff that's going on with Tool and, like, telling me about it. And I'm just thinking to myself the entire time. I'm so glad that he likes this, but it's not really working <laughs> for me. It's not really cooking for me, so to speak. And then I think that was just sort of the running bit for the for a while is that Ben mm-hmm. likes Tool and I don't, or something like that. Like I think that was just mm-hmm. the bit. It was like, oh, he's listening to Tool or something like that. Like, haha, very funny. But I knew when you were going to come on the show. I knew it was going to be a Tool album. Like I just knew, you know.
3: I I mean I feel like with our history it kind of had to be
0: had to be had know. to be absolutely yeah. and so you brought this on and this is the first time i've ever listened to a tool album all the way through so that's really? that For yeah free. absolutely this that that's more or less my history with it but here's what i'll say can i get us can i start us off with this sure. bad boy
2: let's do it let's go
0: i like this album <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, whoa Ooh. okay okay I do. I actually do like this album, and I was very surprised listening to it. I had never heard a single song off this album before, so this was a completely new "Listen to Me" and basically ever since the word "like Mason" was saying. But I was surprised at how different it sounds than I remember Tool sounding. Is that does that track at all with like Tool as like a, as a project, Ben?
3: Yeah. Um, so I, I chose this this record because it's kind of the most it's like the most accessible in my opinion tool tool record um the earlier stuff is is pretty can be kind of heavy and kind of aggressive um and loud you know and very like a lot of stuff going on so if you aren't really prepared for that and you don't really like you're not in like either the right headspace or you're not you you don't anticipate what you're signing up for when you go into it it can be a little challenging um whereas this record is a little bit i think it kind of eases you in and it still has those elements of like there's there's tracks in here that are hard and they're driving and they're like classic you know layers upon layers of different instruments and rhythms and uh you know stuff that tool is kind of known for but it also like eases you in sure um so Mm -hmm. it's a it's a good first like if if you're not familiar with with tool it's a good first listen and also because of that it's kind of why a lot of like tool fans kind of turn their noses at this album sure. because they think it's either too um mainstream or too like pop rock or has too many elements of of what was at the time like the popular alternative rock totally. and rock metal like they think you know they equate it maybe with like Foo Fighters and Nickelback and like some other stuff. Like it gets lumped in with that the stuff that was popular when that form of music was popular. Totally. Kind of the mid to late 2000s, you know, when it was like Nickelback was playing football games and stuff.
0: Well, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because you're like, it's 100% true. Whether you think that's like a plus or a minus on the album, like I think it's like almost unavoidable because when I was listening to this, I was like, Breaking Benjamin, Crossfade, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. all those like acts that you don't really hear about, but had just huge moments in the like Mm -hmm. second half of the 2000s. And that music. No staying power. No staying power at all. It's like, what happened? Like, literally, like, I could not tell you a single thing that Breaking Benjamin has done past 2010, more or less, you know? Yeah. But I personally find that era of rock very comforting. I was, like, Mm -hmm. a little kid. Like, that was, like, around, like, 9, 10, 11, like, when that stuff was, like, popping off. So I find that actually weirdly comforting, like, that sound in that era of, like, alternative rock or whatever you want to call that, like, heavier stuff. So I was actually, there were times where I was listening to this as, like, backwards as it might sound where I was, like, this is really nice. Like, this is, Mm -hmm. like, this is, like, really, like, cozy almost, like, especially, like, what is it, Vicarious and Jambi or Jambi. I find that, yeah. like, very nice, almost, like, refreshing in a way.
3: Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I totally I totally know what you mean. Thank I you. mean, it, it's, it's. I don't know. Mason, do you want to give your thoughts?
2: Um, I did not have the ideal listening experience for this album. Uh-oh. It is the only time that I have had to split up a list, an album across multiple days, just because oh, that's no. the only way I could fit it into my schedule to listen here. So, I don't think... Where was the cutoff? Um I listened to the full... Um, I listened to it completely uninterrupted until I, uh, the end of Lost Keys, open, paren, blame Hoffman, closed paren. Hoffman. Then I uh, listened to Rosetta Stoned on my way to the dispensary of all Let's places. Let's go, baby. Let's go. <laughs> nice. Walking my man's crazy. Walking there, and then I went through the just, the line to get my weed, and then I... Stopped listening to it for the way back. And then I listened to the last three tracks this afternoon after watching the movie for the day today. So I had a very – I I came in and out of this kind of tool world here, this 10,000 days <laughs> world tool here. But here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. I agree with Noah that there is a very – like kind of a very comforting – like feeling that i get when i hear like when vicarious and Zombies started especially because like just the, the the tonality of like the drums and the guitar like just that specific just like like guitar sound and like the heavy bass that stuff always like because i this era I, since i'm a little bit older than you guys i'm a thousand years old. You're clo- so you're you're
0: closer to out. Ben than you are me. You're a, you're you are like I see. Yeah. Well, Ben's Ben's a little bit older than me, and you're about like seventy five years old. So you're closer to Ben than you, <laughs> you're closer to Ben yeah. than you are me. So well, I just music- want to get that out there.
2: So like this this album came out like when I was in middle school. Like, and I just remember like I said like the coolest like older kids that I knew or the kids that I the older kids that I thought were the coolest like always had like the Tool Ten Thousand Days poster. Or, like, just the the CD on their shelves or whatever. So, um, it, like, the difference that I heard and what I really liked about this album when I could just, like, because I only really got a chance to, like, kind of just focus and be, like, with the, with the music, I guess, was, like, the, the weird, like, kind of time signature funkiness, like, how weird and, and mathematic, I, I guess, that thing is, like, just how they're playing with, with that and building, like, the specific, like, kind of tool world, I guess. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. I don't know. Like it's a, it's a complex, it's a complex album, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, I don't really know how I feel about it just cause like I said, my, my I, listening situation wasn't ideal, but I liked listening to it Mason, in that can I, scenario. Can I, What's up I Ben?
3: make a recommendation? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll comment on your, your comment, which is that a lot of people, it's kind of like a, you know, a trope in the for Tool fans is, like, Tool makes albums, right? They make records. Right. They don't make yeah. songs. You should right. listen to yeah. the whole thing in one sitting. Like, yeah. you should yeah, yeah, yeah. be as yeah. present as possible when you're listening to the music, and you should do, yeah. you know? So, I, like, yeah, I, for me, that's, like, yes and no, you know? They, they certainly right. make specific tracks that are, like, you know, like a track, like, start to finish, yeah. you'd be pulled out of whatever, and it still stands on its own. But generally, I think they do, like, try and make a, a bit of an arc from beginning to end and tell a few motifs throughout the thing. So my recommendation mm. is you take some of that weed you bought at the dispensary. Let's go. <laughs> I'm guessing you partake. So you just hang out. You, you that's what I'll do some, next time. That will, enjoy that's some what of I, your product.
2: Here's what I will say. I am itching to do another listen of this album because I yeah. always do two for the albums. It's just this <laughs> album is so damn long.
0: Yeah. So damn long! I could
2: only do it once. You know, like this is about double the. He length can't of last, is what he's saying. He has trouble. Pr- he has land.
0: trouble lasting. It's <laughs> what he's performing. saying. Trouble <laughs> performing. Yeah. Well, you have you have um, trouble lasting, and you have trouble performing. Um, I am curious, though, Ben. What do you think is the secret sauce of Tool? Like, they are polarizing in a general sense, but the people who love them clearly love them. Like, they're diehard yeah. most of the time. Yeah, they're they yeah, like a, a cult following, basically.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a pretty, and it's a huge cult following too. It's not like a small cult following. No. Like they'll, you know, really like this this latest record that they did. I can't remember how long it was like. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, but the the gap between. Oh, so six, twelve years, or something? years. Thirteen years. Yeah. 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 Thirteen yeah, years. It was like yeah. Thirteen years between records, and when it, for me, when it debuted, you know, when they released the latest record, it was at. Number one on everything, like right for a mm-hmm. long for like weeks, you know, for like two weeks, it was number one, and it like got hundreds of millions of plays on everything, like in the first. So it's a it's a large group, and I feel like it's of people that like the music, you know, and it spans all sorts of different generations and people who like different genres, and it's it's a like I've met a bunch of different fans of tool who aren't necessarily even fans of like mainstream rock and roll. You sure. Know? they like Ooh. classical music or they'll like, right. Uh, you know, other opera or some stuff, but then they're like, no, for whatever reason, I also like tool, you know? Damn. Um, and it's, and then you got all the, the, you know, the, the rock, the Cornheads, you know, I'm like the,
0: <laughs> the limp biscuit fucking yeah,
3: refugees, biscuit refugees. Yeah. And all the, <laughs> The guys who are perpetually stuck drinking Monster Energy in 1999. <laughs> yeah. Give me something to drink. <laughs> yeah. Or that drink, you know, that energy drink, Balls, B-A-W-L-S. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: yes. Or whatever they used to would sell it, like, this is a regional thing, but WinCo, whatever the, like, mm-hmm. WinCo version of, like, Rockstar is, like, Amped or something yeah, like yeah. that. Like, they mm-hmm. got that in their hand. They're white dudes with dreadlocks, and they're just like, mm-hmm. yes, bro, yes, mm-hmm. we are We are looking for something to be pissed off about, and we need Tool mm-hmm. in our lives. Um, but so, but that's not everyone in the Tool fan base.
2: It's no. not.
3: And, and to answer your question... It's also think, Ben.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that's me, exactly, yeah, Nailed it. <laughs> I wish... I wish we did video on this. I'd undo my hair and let my dreads fall out. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> take a little snippet, and mail it to each of us, and then we can get a good, good yeah. sniff and get a contact high <laughs> from the sniff. Yeah, <laughs> fucking um, awesome.
3: But to answer your question, though, I think that the one thing that Tool does well, and that they do differently than I'm not going to say better, but that they do differently. Than a lot of bands that are similar to them is they kind of have their their little world that they've created, you know, their sonic universe. Okay. That has has the yeah. rules that they follow. You know, they've they've made themselves their own rules and they've made like they they only do songs in certain keys. And oh shit. They try, yeah, they only do songs in certain keys. It's very rare that they'll. There's only like three or four different keys that they'll do songs in, and they don't really branch out outside of that. So. They do like these deep dives into all the 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 notes in between the keys, and like how notes from I can't remember exactly what the music term is, but like how notes from other keys sound next to you know interesting notes notes from the key mm-hmm. that they're playing in, um, and kind of like the dissonance between playing two keys that you know notes or key you know chords or whatever that sound. Good on their own, but don't not good together. But if you play them in a certain way, like they might, it might sound good, you know. Um, it's a real
2: nerd shit. Yeah,
3: it's it's kind of like music. It's music nerd stuff, and I think that it is. Yeah, a lot of the the the. There's a large population of music nerds that like Tool for the nerdiness. Right. And then there's yeah. a large population of normal people that like Tool because for whatever reason, it just sounds good to them. Sure. you know, they It's cool-sounding
2: music. Like, yeah. we, we haven't talked about that too much, but it is just like – the 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 math like kind of part of it and the uh, was always the thing that was like kind of leading forward when I would think about it. You know, I didn't really like know that it just sounded cool like what we were saying earlier. The, like tools, just like a cool sounding band, and it's really interesting to me that they are so like kind of they have these very clearly set boundaries and they're just trying to figure out different ways to like operate within those boundaries. You know, <laughs> um, it's really it's really interesting. Because um, I was thinking about, like, we we mentioned this when we were talking about uh, Kaput, the Destroyer album with Sunny D- with our friend Sonny a couple o- weeks ago, a couple episodes ago. And Dan Behar in that project just creates, like, the Destroyer world. And if yeah. you can mm-hmm. listen to it, um, you know, when you put on a Destroyer song, you're like, okay, I'm just going to go visit this part of, you know, uh, uh, this part of the world. Like, the, the Destroyer thing. Tool's very similar, and this album mm-hmm. was very similar. Like, I think that this is a great... Intro point because like I am, at the end of it I'm just like so curious to see like what else is in this world and like how other like kind of intricate and weird it can be. Um, you like this album, Noah? Are you curious to hear more Tool?
0: Yes, I am. I'm I'm curious to venture out into the woods and get a little freaky with it. To be honest with you, I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember who what what album it was, but we covered a similar type of thing. On this show Mm -hmm. Where it was like This is sort of an entry point And if you can dig it There's like a lot of weird Weird other shit I mean
2: that's a lot of shit We've done a lot of stuff like that (laughs) There was one
0: in particular though That is like I'm trying to figure out what it is And I can't remember But what I What I liked Specifically About this album And it is yes In large part to The album cover But I think that goes into What is interesting about the music In the first place Is that there's a very like primal, very like, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, back, like, like back in like cavemen, Neanderthal times, like thing happening Mm -hmm. here with the way the drums are going and the way the bass is sort of interacting with the drums. Like, it feels very like primordial, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't like get that sensation from a lot of anything, to be honest with you. Like that's a very like mm. hard thing to tap into. Like it like creates that image in my yeah. mind, you know. Is that at all similar to where you're at with this? Something you've probably heard this a million and a half times, Ben, but does that resonate at all?
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I, I think you're you're totally right. It's uh and, and it's also something I think that's partly intentional um with the way that they they design their music. Um the way that they approach their music making because I don't know if you how much you dug into it, but tool tool, the there's four members of tool. there's there's Maynard James Keenan, who's the front man, the lyricist, he's the singer. Um, then there's Adam Jones who's the guitarist. Danny Carey is the drummer. and uh, um, oh come on, Justin Chancellor, is yep. the bassist. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Justin, Danny, and Adam all get together. On when they're starting a, a record, and they just, they jam, they they play, they riff, they come up with different sonic ideas and different sounds and different rhythms, and they link them together and make acoustic tracks, and then at the very end, once all the music has been made, they bring Maynard in to write lyrics oh, wow. on top of it, so,
2: I can, interest. that's interesting, because I kind of feel like the lyrics are kind of divorced from the like or separate from the music, you know, like they're kind of just like on top of the the sounds, they're not just not really. I'll say it, I just want to like I don't know if I like the lyrics and Maynard's parts in this <laughs> in this album too much. Um, it was hard, it was the hardest thing that was like the hardest thing for me to embrace right away was how the vocals fit into it, just because I think like that. That trio of the, the drums, the bass, and the guitar is just so, like, kind of locked in and, and tight and <laughs> unified in a way. And I I don't know. I, you, I don't know how you I, can't get behind strapped
0: good. down in my bed, feet cold and re- eyes red. I'm out of my head. Am I alive or dead? Sunkissed and pseudofed, gyroscopes and infrared. Can't remember what they said. Goddamn shit the bed. You can't get behind
2: that. My friend, that's I didn't my, know that's what he was saying because I didn't have time to listen to it for the album to a that, second time and well hear that. That's,
0: that's the best shit that's I've ever though. heard. That's fucking incredible. I think, that's great, though. Yeah.
3: I think I think Mason, you're you're on the right track. It, it, tools. It's like it's. I hate the f- the phrase acquired taste, but with something. <laughs> as, <laughs> but we're maybe gonna use it <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna use it. Okay. I'm okay, say okay. It's it's on the same sort of in the same sort of area but it's it's something that it's like a good you know painting or something that there's a lot of depth there where at at first you might be totally uncomfortable and unsure of what's going on and it takes a few listens and a few like you Mm -hmm. know you've got to be willing to put put the focus into it and the like Jump in and give you you know give yourself over to like okay thinking about it a little bit and if you want to approach it from that angle if it doesn't immediately resonate with you you know uh, mm-hmm. but there's a lot there if you wanted like I I do think if you you gave it a few more listens and kind of like looked at it a little more analytically it might start to resonate more or like read the lyrics as you're as you're going through the
2: but it's it's, brother i was trying to do that yeah i was doing that yesterday on the bus for Mm -hmm. the stretch of songs Mm -hmm. it was a good stretch of songs Mm -hmm. let me pull it up here um it was because when i started it was kind of starting with wings for marie and then Ten Thousand days so wings Mm -hmm. part two that sort of like 20 minute stretch of the album 15 however long those two songs are together that's Mm -hmm. when I was like sitting reading the lyrics and I'm like okay maybe now I'm like locking into this a little more Mm -hmm. and then by the time we get to the pot the pot which was like the first time on that album where I felt like really in its groove, you know? And I was like, right where they wanted me. (laughs) That's where all the Limp
0: biscuit heads come crawling out of the woodwork and they're like, (laughs) what the fuck? Okay. (laughs) Just giving (laughs) everyone the evil eye and the E.T. finger, just walking around with their white Uh, dreads being like, okay, time for me to enjoy the music. (laughs) Just being (laughs) gross as shit, just smelling like fucking Paul Stank. Um, Yes, yes. you You know what's interesting though, Mason, and I think this happens a lot on the show, I when I listened to this album, I was never worried about what Maynard was saying. To me, it was yeah, just another sure. sonic sound. element. Exactly, it was mm-hmm. another sound, and that's mm-hmm. and that is genuine. And I'm, that's and I've said it before on the show. That's like genuinely how I'm listening to music most of the time, unless the lyrics are like so inescapable. And there's people like that, Paul Simon's like that, where the lyrics are just like right there and it's like hard to not yeah. hear them you know but in uh-huh. s- most situations to me and I like lyrics but they're uh, definitely on first listens more part of the overall stew than they are like sure. the forefront thing so I didn't have that problem but I know that that's not your that's not how you're listening to music a lot of the time no it's like, no. It's, it's all yeah. it's like two separate things that are joining together so I feel you on that though I do actually Thanks. okay yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome.
3: Well, I, I think a lot of there, there are two separate. You know, there are two camps to the, the tool, tool, sonic verse, and they're exactly what you guys just said. There's some people who just absolutely love Maynard, and they love his lyrics, and they love the, the poetry, you know, and the stories that he writes, and all that stuff. And there, that's the reason they come to Tool, sure. you know, are for yeah. the the metaphors that he creates and the the motifs that he runs throughout the, the length of the record and the things he taps into. But then there's a lot of other people too who just think that Maynard is a another sonic element, and that the intonation of his voice, the words that he chooses for how they sound, but also what they mean, add to just the overall feel of sure. The, the music, and that it's mm-hmm. just all, and that you, you don't even need to listen to the lyrics, like Noah was saying. Like you just your brain might be interpret, you know, hearing some words and then firing off little neurons saying like, "Okay, word that means whatever feeling." So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but you don't have to pay attention. It's just it's just part of the little sonic world that they've made.
0: Where do you uh, fall in the camp, or where do you, or do you go between?
3: I I, I go between.
0: Okay.
3: Um, um, I mean, it's like. I will say for the first, the first good amount of my for the, for, I'll say for the amount that I listened to Tool, like when I was younger, I, I I'm no, I've never been a big lyric guy, but okay. I was like definitely not mm. paying attention to Tool's lyrics. Sure. I recognize some like little you know, little bits here and there of certain songs, and like that would you know I remember those parts, but I never was like into the actual long form. Because some of them are like fucking essays. If you if yeah. you yeah. go read the lyrics, yeah. they're they're not like a, a normal song structure where you have like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Well, that's verse, like, it, it. Just adds, yeah,
2: It it just adds to that like specific universe that Tool is making. You know, like that is just how Maynard James James Keenan songwriting is to make a Tool song. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just you kind of just, and again. The more i listen to it the more i'll probably just learn to be like accept it but like by the end of the album like i was kind of listening to it how you guys do where i didn't really care what was being said it just like kind of it fit really well together with with the mute like you know with the instrumentation and just the other kind of um sound and vibe of the of the project
0: that that lyric that I, I mentioned earlier, strapped down in my bed, yeah. feet cold and eyes red, I'm out of my head. Am I alive or dead? Sun kissed and suit fed, gyroscopes and infrared. Can't remember what they said. Goddamn shit, the bed. That is my Zvon award winner. I cannot believe that that didn't pop off into like mainstream culture. Like fucking no children by Mountain Goats is like a yeah. meme <laughs> on TikTok now. <laughs> That's a meme on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. people are like yeah. using like the "I hope you die, I hope we both die" thing. I hope we both die. Yeah, and I can't believe that that didn't pop off in any single way. That's so cool and funny and scary, like all at the same time. That's amazing. So that gets my Zvon award for this album. Very cool. What do you what 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 else is? what else is here that we haven't discussed on yet? Cause I would like to get to the wrap up stuff. Cause obviously I have a movie to talk about as well, but is there anything that we haven't sure. discussed about either this album specifically or tool yet that we need sure. to get to? Well,
3: I think, you know, we could do maybe 10 episodes on tool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. We'll just add 10 so more I episodes time. <laughs> before, I, so we're, before we're, I leave the show. Yeah.
3: We're just, <laughs> we're just scratching the surface. I think that, you know, there's just so much we can, we can talk about, um, with both the music and then also with the context, either behind the music or the lyrics or how the album was made or the technicals of the music, you know, there's just all sorts of stuff you can get into, but uh, I got some, some fast facts for you. Uh Oh, Benny's fast facts, some Benny's fast facts. What are we doing here?
0: What are we doing here? We're getting dark (laughs) on our ass. All right, Benny, give me some fast facts.
3: So, uh, 10,000 days is about 29 and a half years which is Mm. about the length of time it takes Saturn to orbit the sun. Mm. Um, There's a lyric in, I can't remember which, which track it is, uh, where there basically is like Saturn comes around again in, in the previous record. There's a, um, in the previous record, there's a song, I think it's bladder Alice, but, um, there's a Saturn comes around again, something, something, whatever. So, um, Lateralis is
2: the album before this one. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: So, uh, this, this, there's all sorts of Zodiac, not Zodiac. What's the fucking astronomy,
2: astrology, astrology astronomy, like
3: astrology and, and spiritualism associated with, with like the Saturn's, you know, yeah. The Saturn the return universe. thing. Yeah. And, and part of it, like I've, I've heard some people say like, well, that when you're in your late twenties and Saturn is coming back to the point where it was when you first entered the earth, um, you ha- like, it forces you to make big decisions in your life of whether or not like, you know, you want to go forward with something or you're going to give up or whatever. So that could be mm-hmm. one motif of this album. Um, another one is that Maynard's mom was, uh, when she was 30, she had a stroke. Oh shit. But it paralyzed her half of her body. Um, she was basically, you know, invalid, unable to do pretty much anything, um, for 29 and a half years until oh, she wow. died. Holy uh, shit. So I think that the wings for Marie part one and two are, are, um, about, you know, his mom and his kind of, sure. Like if you, if you go and read the lyrics yeah. of that one, that's one that the lyrics for me at least are very like, you know, very poignant. Um, and it's uh, also very per- like they're really personal and really it's kind of strange to me that this like that this dude would put something so I mean, it's music, but he put, put something so personal, you know, on across two long tracks. Right. On a record that was at that point pretty much guaranteed to be listened to by like mill- millions and millions and millions of people. You know?
0: Yeah. Major respect um, on that one. Damn. I didn't realize that.
3: So and and they also rarely play that song, in at like shows because it's hard for Manner to sure. like get into that mode mm. and like sing it over and over and over again. So have you seen um, that? So I mean, a, I'm sure
0: you have. But what is it like seeing Tool live?
3: It's great. <sighs> it's awesome. Um, I think that they're one of the few few bands that because the way that they record in the studio is is like. They don't do a lot of overdubbing. They all kind of play at once, sure, um, and they usually play one track through. Um, and if they mess up, they'll restart and, and do it again. So the the studio recording is a lot different than how a lot of artists record, like one track and then layer right, on top right, and right. record another track. Mm. So you end up with a sound that sounds very similar. They also have a really great sound engineer that that, tr- that tours with them and makes all the you know works with the venues and tries to make them as, as good as possible but they sound really close that's awesome. to the studio versions live really which cool. is which is rare um, but also they improvise too like they'll do fun little things and go off on tangents or make slight changes to certain songs live um, so they'll still kind of throw you for a loop it's not like everything you know exactly though. right but but it's it's amazing seeing them because they're so technically proficient at all of their Instruments, you know, like especially the drummer, Danny Carey, he's like a, a, just a beast. The way that he is able to sure. do all his polyrhythms, mm. link like five different rhythms all into one with, you know, two arms and two legs, like and go back and forth between different time signatures and different, it's just crazy. So, watching him do that and listening to that with like actually feeling the hit of oh, like yeah, the yeah. drums really mm-hmm. taps into that like primordial thing that you were saying, cause you're saying because you're when you're there and it's live and it's loud and you're feeling the music right it like gets into your, your monkey brain you know yeah and it's kind of like is that, the, is that the
0: medulla oblongata that we're speaking about <laughs> I think so I think it is what is it what is it is it at the water boy where Sandler's like you must be at your medulla oblongata or something like that pretty sure that's the water boy <laughs> uh. um Ben, hit us with maybe one or two more of Benny's facts, then I want to do my facts, and then I want to wrap this sucker up because we got a whole movie to talk about as well. Like you said, we could talk sure. about this forever.
3: Sure. Um, so the Lost Keys, blame Hoffman track, where it's kind of a little weird, like... Jung, 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 yeah, jung, yeah, yeah, and There's the guy talking really fast. Um, that is kind of a, like an ode to the guy who invented acid. Um, oh, hmm. right, yes. Yes because Albert Hoffman was the, the guy who invented acid. Um, and he, you know, lived to be like over a hundred years old um, and spent his entire life basically just preaching about how good he thought acid was. Um, and earlier in the 90s, there were some, I think there was an incident at Lollapalooza where uh, uh, the, the, the singer from Jane's Addiction gave... All the members of Tool, or I think at least Maynard and and Adam, uh, like, drinks that were spiked with acid. Yikes. Holy shit. um, And they just, like, had a crazy experience.
0: What a Tool move on his part. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Very cool. All right. Very cool. We're getting a drop in for that one. Let's get in a drop in for that one, boys. Let's go. Yeah, that's a fucked up thing to do, though. (laughs) It is.
3: But they liked it. It ended up being fine. You know, and it obviously influenced kind of like you can't really talk about Tool without talking about some of the psychedelic influences that the music has, even if you're not into psychedelics. You know, this one thing has I think that's
2: psychedelic influence this band has. This Tool has a psychedelic influence. Whoa, no, no. <laughs> No, no, it's Tool as a
0: psychedelic. <laughs> Mason, I've never heard you use that voice in the two years we've been doing, doing the podcast, oh, and man. I never want it to come out ever again. I want you to put that thing away, bro. Um, I wonder if so, our friends Sean and Cass are into Tool now. That I think maybe. about it.
3: To wrap up the, uh, I think that the, the link between psychedelics and Tool is is like the the guy who does the album artwork. His name's Alex Gray. Um, he also does a lot of the designs for their music videos. Um, he's another guy who's like a super. He's really into uh, hallucinogenics and LSD and mushrooms, and all his art is like very DMT. Like he he said he designed the album art for this after a DMT trip. Um, so I think that primordial feeling of of the music and of also like some of the art and of getting into that the energy of the, the human being is kind of what tool like originally shot for, you know, like they're trying Mm -hmm. to get to that spot. Um, And I think they succeeded in in a sense where like for me, at least like I've, I've done some hallucinogens in my time, but I'm not like a, you know, I'm not out here doing acid like all the time. Sure. Um, But it, it's like I can see through the music how it might be, you know, like what, how it can put me in that spot without even necessarily, you know...
0: Without having to ingest and actually go there. Yeah. yeah. Are you a ween guy at all, Ben?
3: Yeah, I like ween. Yeah.
0: There's an interest. I think Tool and ween actually are, like, Mm -hmm. similar in some ways. Definitely not, like, on the surface, but some, like, when you peek behind the curtain a little bit, I think that they're kind of going about things in maybe a similar way, almost. Sure. Yeah. And, And Primus.
3: Yep. And... Butthole surfers yeah. to some extent.
0: I don't know enough about the butthole surfers. I'm going to leave that one, leave that one to you guys. I know Mason's an expert on butthole surfing. Um, can I hit? <laughs> hit you? No, know, it's it's funny.
2: I used to I, I used to get butthole surfers and flying burrito brothers mixed up.
0: <laughs> well, the flying burrito brothers came first, and then the butthole surfers came. Yeah, Because right. you got to have I, you got to have know, one before but... the other. Um, can I hit you with some fat some of Noe's fast facts about ten thousand days in Tool yeah. real quick? Please. Tools, an American rock band from L.A., formed in 1990. The group's lineups include Maynard James Keenan, guitarist Adam Jones, drummer Danny Carey, Justin Chancellor has been a part of the band since 1995, replacing their original bassist Paul D'Amour. Due to Tools, incorporation of visual art and very long, complex releases, the band is generally described as a style-transcending act and part of prog rock, psychedelic rock, and art rock. The relationship between the band and today's music industry is ambivalent, at times marked by censorship, and the band's insistence on privacy... Tool's musical style has been described as alt-metal, art-rock, post-metal, prog-rock, progressive metal, and heavy metal. Beyond this aspect of the band's sound, each member experiments within his wide musical scope. Bass Player Magazine described Chancellor's bass playing as having a, quote, thick, mid-range tone, guitar-style techniques, and elastic versatility. Completing the band's rhythm section, drummer Carey... Excuse me, yeah. Drummer Kerry uses polyrhythms, tabla-style techniques, and the incorporation of custom electronic drum pads to trigger samples such as pre-recorded tabla and octoband sounds. In 1997, Tool named King Crimson, Melvin's, and Peter Gabriel's Passion as common influences on its development. Hmm. In describing their wide range of styles, critics have noted, quote, that they are, quote, influenced as much by Pink Floyd as they are the Sex Pistols. In 1993, Adam Jones mentioned Joni Mitchell, King Crimson, Depeche Mode, and country music as being among their other inspirations. Maynard James Keaton named Hegira by Joni Mitchell, Holy Money Slash Greed by Swans, Physical Graffiti by Zeppelin, Mm. Red by King Crimson, and Passion by Peter Gabriel as his five favorite records. Danny Carey cited Bill Bruford and Alan White of Yes as his two biggest rock influences, in addition to Bruford's adventuredness in electronic drums. Other reported influence on Tool includes Phantomas, Devo, the comedian Bill Hicks. Not 100% mm-hmm. sure how that ties okay. into it, 100%, but it's there, I guess. Uh, okay. Rush, Helmet, Faith No More, Bauhaus, Meshuggah, David Bowie, Mike Patton, Dave Lombardo, and Jane's Addiction. 10,000 Days is the fourth studio album by Tool, released on May 2nd, 2006, in North America. <laughs> Recording took place at O. Henry Sound Studios in Burbank, California. The Loft and Grandmaster Studios, both in Hollywood. Uh, 10,000 Days was Tool's last release for more than a decade. The band would not release their next album, like we said, for 13 more years, entitled Fear Inoculum, until August 30th, 2019. The compact dick dick packaging, the compact (laughs) disc packaging, for 10,000 days, consists of a thick cardboard-bound booklet partly covered by a flap holding a pair of stereoscopic eyeglasses, which can be used to view a series of images inside. Viewed with the glasses, the artwork produces an illusion of depth and three dimensions. Alex Gray, who created a majority of the album, like Ben was saying, for Lateralist and its accompanying video Parabola, I reprised his role for 10,000 days. The CD itself is decorated with stylized eyes arranged in a seemingly loathmorhythmic spiral. I knew there were going to be insane words that I would have to say during these fast facts when we're dealing with Tool toward the center, adopted from a previous Alex Gray painting called Collective Vision. As with Tool's other albums, the lyrics are not printed with the artwork. Vocalist Maynard James Keenan has instead released the lyrics online. On May 5th, 2006, the band's official webmaster hinted that, quote, the four individual photos of the band members can be used as the pieces of kind of a puzzle, but the puzzle and its meaning, quote, will just be another another nut to crack. A lot going on with Tool. We don't have enough time to fully crack that nut. But Mason, yeah. I got to air some dirty yes. laundry with you right now, pal. Okay?
2: <sighs> okay. All right. Okay.
0: Can I tell you something that I hate, Mason?
2: What do you hate?
0: I hate when I'm watching a movie or listening to the album for the episode and I get a text from you that says the Mercedes Valuable Player is the It's On The List spin on the most valuable player award given in professional sports. It was first given its namesake, uh, first given to its namesake, Mercedes Ruel, for her performance as Connie and Jonathan Demme's 1988 film Married to the Mob. It can be awarded to a specific person or thing or a more general or abstract element of either the album or the movie. In rare cases, a co-Mercedes Valuable Player can be awarded as well. I hate when you text me that.
2: You know when I text you that?
0: Yeah. I'm not stupid, dude. I do the show every week. I know what's going on. So stop it. Yeah,
2: I know. But that's how I let you know I'm getting into the bath.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay. Well, actually, now that you say that, could you just do that every week now? (laughs) Because that's actually important (laughs) for me to know. Um, Ben, as is per usual, we do let the guest pick the Mercedes Valuable Player Award First, if they so desire, who, what, or which is your Mercedes valuable player for 10,000 days?
3: Uh, My Mercedes valuable player for 10,000 days is Justin Chancellor. Let's go. The bassist, um, especially on Rosetta Stoned. Um, I've listened to that track, like, probably 100 times and always find something new that he does. Um, It's, like, wildly complicated and, like, ridiculous if you try and track, like, all the different... It sounds great. Like, it sounds fine. You know, you listen right. to it and it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like all that complicated. And then you start trying to, like, figure out what things are. And it's just insane. So, Mercedes Valuable Player, Justin Chancellor, Rosetta Stoned.
0: I will be giving mine to Adam Jones, who is credited as playing the guitar, the sit-tar, and the talk box solo on Jombie. I was mm. very taken with his guitar playing on this album. And I'm sure next time I listen oh, yeah. to it, I'll be taken with Danny Carey's drumming and Justin Chancellor's bass playing and maybe Maynard's lyrics. <laughs> we'll see. But this this time around, these two listens that I gave it for this episode, I'm giving it to Adam Jones uh, and his guitar playing and his string work on that. I was very impressed at all the tonality that was in there and oh, just, yeah. just the ability to like be, like, kind of a weird chameleon in the sense that, like, all the songs sound unified, but they all have, like, a different thing going on as well. I think that's an impressive feat. Mason, what about you?
2: I'm gonna give my Mercedes valuable player to the song, um, The Pot. Um, Let's go. Um, yeah, Because you were listening cool. to it
0: in line for the dispensary?
2: No, I was listening to Rosetta Stone in line Fuck. for the dispensary. The Pot, I was listening to after I walked out of Target. Uh, okay. <laughs> Okay. With some pallets of uh, sparkling water. Um, I'm gonna conditional recommend this one just because I liked listening to it, but I didn't get as I feel like I just scratched the surface with this album, really, and uh, and I am so keen to get deeper so that I could really like hang out with this album um, and give it the kind of time and respect it deserves. I guess is the way way I'm thinking about it. Um, but I still had a great time listening to it. It was so interesting and it was really cool to just be in that in that world for you know a couple of episodes <laughs> throughout my weekend here um, before we
3: go to dark city just the final my final thoughts uh i think if you guys want to go the next album if you want to go a little deeper uh, or mm. for anyone listening who's unfamiliar with tool i think 10000 days is a good place to start next if you're feeling a little frisky uh the second studio album, Aenema, um, is what, that would be my, my second recommendation. Sure. Um, because that's kind of that, and then the album following that, Lateralis, are are their two kind of the big ones, you know? Um, but I feel like it's better to go to, to Anima first, and then to Lateralis, um, and then to the first record, and then their last record, their latest one. Um, All right. But, but there's there's a lot there, um, and uh, I think that the, the the order in which you listen to them can influence because they reference themselves a lot, so um, can make it make a difference. But I, for both of you, I think Anima would be a next 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 good, stop. Next stop, yeah. Especially cool. if you like this one, you'll like that one. And that's be... where Bill Hicks Bill Hicks comes in.
0: Interesting. Okay, that actually makes that actually is that actually alone is incentive to check it out like more than anything. To be honest with you. I'm going to give this a regular old recommend with a potential for a full recommend as time goes on. I just have... This is an album that requires more than one listen, so that's what I'll be giving it. Ben, what do you, do you recommend 10,000 Days by Tool? No. <laughs> oh, my man. Oh, oh, he did it. He did it. He did it. He did the funky bit. <laughs> All right, Ben, what are we I talking don't. about movie-wise? Um, we are talking
3: about the... Nineteen ninety eight. Yep. Film directed by Greek director Greek. Alex
0: Proyas. He's Greek. I thought he was Egyptian. Pretty sure he's I th- maybe he's Egyptian Greek, but I think he he he's Greek. Okay, we'll find out here in just a sec. I think he's Egyptian. That's what I'm. Uh, that's my. I'm I, th- I, think I
3: think he's. I think he's. I think there might be both.
0: Okay. Hey. But maybe not. No skin off my back, bro. No skin off my back. No, Gre- he's of here. Greek descent, but he was born in Alexandria, Egypt. So yeah. Okay. There we go. So
3: we're both right. Shout out. Um. The film is Dark City. Uh, it's a it's a doozy.
2: <laughs> well, it should also be said. It should also be said that there's there are two versions of this movie. Sure. Yes, let's get that out of the way. Let's get that out on the
0: fucking table (laughs) right now. Let's
3: because I didn't. I didn't at first.
2: Yeah. So we're talking about the director's cut specifically. That's what Ben Mm. really wanted us to watch. We. I
0: will be talking about the theatrical cut specifically because Uh, I was halfway through the theatrical cut uh, when Ben said, "By the way, you're going to want to watch the director's cut of this version." So, I don't know. That's what I saw. That's what I
3: saw. All right, well, can I, I'll just preface and say that the the difference between the director's cut and the theatrical cut, there's one major difference that might make or break the movie for you. Great. And <laughs> then all the rest are minor.
0: And that is the there's opening one. Narration, it's right? like
3: it's like, yeah, it's the opening narration. It's like Blade Runner. Yes. You know, yeah. They did the thing where they they tested it on studio audiences and everyone was like, what? So then they decided to explain the entire movie at the very beginning. <laughs> Which <sighs> sucks.
0: <laughs> like, I'm just going to come out and say it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to fucking... J- but what, we'll talk about our histories with it here, but I just have to say jumping right out of the gate. This movie at the very beginning moves so fucking fast in the theatrical cut. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy fuck, there's just these... There's this race of the creature. Like, it's just so much lore all at once. So I have a feeling... 'Cause I never am actually a big fan of directors' cuts. I think it's sort of like I don't really care at a certain level. You're to be afraid honest of with the you.
2: true vision. You're I'm afraid, afraid of the true vision. Yeah,
0: I'm a piss boy, so I'm a little afraid. Um, but I have a feeling it actually would have been good to watch the director's cut of this version. But all to yeah. say, Ben, what is your history with Dark City? When did you get into it? What what do you what what's going on with Dark City?
3: So I have an interesting history with Dark City that I think you guys aren't gonna be expecting okay um so i have not actually i had not actually watched dark city in its entirety oh until we watched it for the podcast i had oh, watched, very cool i had watched scenes from dark city and i had discussed dark city in a philosophy of science fiction class that i took in college damn um and, and also in a uh yeah it was a philosophy of science fiction class um and it was always on my list because we we dove I, and I figured yeah it's on the list it's on the list it's on maybe. the list might as well watch it um, and I, I was familiar enough with it because we we discussed it so much in class that we covered all that I knew everything that happened like it I put it off because we didn't watch it it wasn't it wasn't like required watching for the class but our professor liked it so much that he brought it up a lot and then basically was like, hey, you can watch it or not, but we're gonna talk about it and how it references like a bunch of other science fiction and a bunch of other philosophical ideas. Um so it was something I always wanted to visit very and, and watch through, but I watched most of the you know, probably four or five of the main scenes in that class. Um but I, I never actually did a full full watch through until right. until uh, last night. Wow. So
0: a little sneaky Usually, oh, people have seen. Sneaky. Usually, people have seen the full thing when they bring it on the show. I think that it's only happened a handful of times. So you really snuck one past the censors on that one, my friend. Uh, I
2: love it. I love that.
0: Mason, what about you?
2: What's your history? I had so I had seen this movie quite a bit in high school because this was something that Roger Ebert really stand for. Mm-hmm. And in on the theatrical cut DVD, because so I bought I had the DVD that I got from a used bookstore. Um, but it was a theatrical cut and Ebert actually had a commentary on it. Um, and I remember the director's cut, like being for sale in like bargain bins, uh, at Walmart or whatever, or Target or even when I was growing up and I never pulled the trigger because I was like, well, I have the theatrical cut. I think it's just, just, just fine. I don't get like the, I don't know if it's a great movie or whatever. I don't know if I'm hot on it as my boy Rogers, but I like watching it. I think it's cool. I think the world is cool. Um, But I had never seen the director's cut before, and I hadn't watched the movie yet, and yesterday I was thinking, well, like, should I be watching the theatrical or the director's cut for this? (laughs) And then Ben answered that question, and I was really excited because, um, it had been a while since I'd seen this movie, I was really excited when Ben brought it on the show because I didn't, I don't know a lot of other Dark City heads (laughs) out there, I thought he was- Dark City had uh and I he mean, did and sneak one past us. Now he is. Now he is. Well, I, 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 I,
3: I, the thing was is I was a fan I was a fan before. I mean yeah. like we had, we covered the film so much in this class.
2: You know, especially with how it related to all these th- like that I Well, right, yeah, cuz there's a lot yeah. there's a lot to chew on with this movie. It's, there it's, is. it's it yeah. is it's this is a so but that's my history with it. Noah, did you heard about this movie at all or did you have any kind of context for it before the show here?
0: So, I had never seen it prior to watching it for the show. Am I wrong in thinking that for a time this was on the IMDb top 250, like toward the bottom it, it of might the have list? Been.
2: It might have been. I feel like it was always coming on and coming off, like one of those things.
0: Yeah, I remember it being like 200 or below, like somewhere between 200 and mm-hmm. 250, more or less. And in high school, the IMDb top 250 was like my Bible for like what I should be yeah, finishing. Dude. Like I just remember yeah. scouring that thing and being like, all right, what's what's tonight's gonna be? What's tonight gonna be off the IMDB top two fifty? And then you go to college and realize the IMDb top two fifty is made up by people who like mostly wanna be watching Hobbs and Shaw and shit for the most part probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you're you realize that there's other places to get your to get your to get your rocks off, so to speak, and picking movies that are interesting and like learning about new shit. Um So I didn't really know what this movie was, other than it was like a oft forgotten sci-fi classic, is basically how I thought that this movie Mm -hmm. was like that was how it was framed for me. I'm not the biggest sci-fi guy in the whole world, especially hard sci-fi. Like I like a little bit more like maybe sci-fi and action or sci-fi and horror or something like that. But like Mm -hmm. pure sci-fi sometimes a little tricky for me. A little hard for me to get into, especially, or, like, hard fantasy as well. Like, those two things are a little hard for me to, like, sink my teeth into. Not saying I don't Mm -hmm. like them. I'm just saying I get trouble with them. Even Lord of the Rings, which are some of the most amazing films ever made, and I, like, gotta respect the craft on that. They're some of the greatest movies ever made. I'm not, like, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over them, just in terms of, like, as movies are concerned, you know, like... I appreciate them and I enjoy watching them like once every 10 years or whatever it is, you know, but I'm not going to the shelf and being like, we're doing the full extended trilogy, no bathroom breaks, like put your fucking like soda drinking hat on, Smitty Werber Jensen, he was number one type shit, you know, like that's, I'm just not doing that. Like that's just not, I'd rather watch other shit. So that's kind of where I was coming into with Dark City. And of course, I love the Matrix. <laughs> you know, I love yeah. the Matrix. Actually, Ben and I saw the Matrix together in theaters when it was re-released in
2: 2019. Mm-hmm. Are you guys excited for *The Yes and no.
3: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm going into it with a healthy healthy dose of skepticism, like yeah. I did like I did the last couple Matrix movies. Um, Every time I, mean, I see
2: the trailer, I'm equally I get more excited. To see the yeah. Matrix, that's where I'm at. I don't
3: it's always nice to go into the Matrix <laughs> world, though.
0: It is. It is. It is. Like, those ladies... Is it just Lana who's doing this just one? Just Lana's directing it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They direct the shit... I have not seen Reloaded or... Is it Revelations? Revelations? Yeah, yeah. Revolutions. I'm not, revolutions. You're right. The new one's revelations, This It's revolutions. Not seen those. It's resurrection's the a new one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I've, I've not seen two and three. I've never. I've only. They They are. They're so confusing. Subtitles. Keep moving. <laughs> I, I want to. Wa- I've only seen clips. I want to watch them in in full before four comes out. But it's also interesting because this movie, Dark City, comes out in ninety eight. At the end yeah. of I. Okay. Let me back. Whoa. Hold up, boys. Let me back up here real quick. I love this era of filmmaking in America. I think Mm -hmm. the late 90s and early 2000s, Mm -hmm. I mean the 90s in general, but specifically the late 90s and early 2000s, it's kind of unreal how many amazing movies came out in that very like five or six year stretch, like from like 97 to like 2003, so many amazing movies came out.
3: And just how much money studios threw at stuff. Stuff you that know? like
0: would never ever be yeah. in theaters now, ever. Yeah, exactly.
3: You know? And they would throw Eyes like $200 dollars at it. Like yeah, a hundred to two hundred million bucks in the nineties. You know, that's like
0: that's like six hundred million. Nolan now, gets.
3: yeah, that's like what Chris Nolan gets now. You know. Yeah. So, but in the nineties, they'd be like, "Hey, here's a weird idea. Here's a hundred million bucks. Go make something weird."
0: And they and like they really let people it seemed like they really let people cook in a way that mm-hmm. like they seem to not let people cook as much in a theatrical sense now. But like here's a list of movies that just sort of came to mind when I was thinking about Dark City and when I was watching Dark City for a multitude of different reasons. There were a lot of questioning reality movies also at this time. You had Truman yeah. Show. You have Dark City. Yeah. You have Pleasantville which is an underrated film. I love that movie. That's a great Oh, movie. yeah. I love Pleasantville. You have The First Matrix. You have David Cronenberg's Existence, which I've never seen, but is like a questioning reality film. You have Blast from the Past, starring Brendan Fraser, which is like a Plato's Cave type thing, and even Fight Club a little bit. You've got some, you've got some shit going on with mm-hmm. Fight Club that's a little bit of that questioning reality thing. Some other movies I thought about when this was happening were Memento, the Star Wars prequels, Blade, the Batman animated yeah. series cartoon, X-Men. There's a lot, I feel like, that came out around this time that maybe doesn't, like, Dark City doesn't really get the credit it deserves for establishing, you know, quite literally, well, the some... dark tone that it sort of, like, okay. sets forward. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, some some like well, it comes after the an- Batman the animated series, I think even, but that was like the kind of look for like stuff that was dark back then, you know, like the kind of the Anton first like kind of design from the first bat, the Tim Burton Batman movie, like those, like that, like kind of gothic design. I feel like that really because this movie just looks fucking cool. Like first and foremost, this movie looks just fucking incredible. Yeah, it like looks just amazing. each, it just just the kind of like noir. um, Uh, look to it like it's so wet all the neon it's just green um no that was a great so green that was a great list of movies that you uh cooked up there because i this movie uh made me thinking start thinking about films that i'm calling help i'm a protagonist (laughs) (laughs)
0: okay all right mason hold up hold up wait get that list ready but here we go (laughs) help
2: i'm a protagonist and i need help so so I thought about Total Recall, okay, mm-hmm. The Matrix, mm-hmm. The Truman Show also, so those are two ones that we have in common there. This is not as, as extensive a list, but also um, The Empty Man from last year, which is an gr- awesome movie. Have you seen The Empty Man, Ben? Have you or seen haven't. The Empty Man, Noah? Started oh. w- Started Empty watching Man. it
0: one night and fell asleep and never came back to it, but I did enjoy what I saw.
2: The first 20 minutes of that movie is just an incredible, just like scare, little scary short film on its own. And then the rest of the movie is just this insane, like kind of, uh, it's just, it's uh, pretty nutso but so. But the last movie that I have written down here, and, and uh, Noah, I hope this makes you happy that I included this on this list, but it's our old friend, The Fish Called Justice. Let's go. Serenity. Let's go. Serenity. Oh, serenity. Serenity, so,
0: bro. <laughs> uh,
3: real quick. I was thinking about choosing Serenity, but I didn't know how deep into Battlestar Galactica you guys were.
0: Oh, oh, not at all. We're talking about Serenity, the Matthew McConaughey film from 2019 is actually what we're talking and about. And that's a Firefly oh, movie, shit. my friend.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, sorry, that's a Firefly, Firefly. movie, not, my not bi- Yeah, sorry, not That's Battlestar a Josh
0: Black, Whedon guy. movie, my
2: friend. Yeah. yeah, Firefly.
0: Firefly is crazy. I've seen a couple episodes the- of Firefly.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah, Serenity, was- the 2005 movie, is pretty... Sorry. Pretty good. Uh, it's got nothing on *Serenity* 2019.
0: That's all I'm gonna. A say. Amen. A That's fucking right. man, baby. Interesting. Uh, you will not like *Serenity* 2019, Ben. I don't think. I'm just gonna say
2: that right now. I
0: don't think that you're gonna like that one, maybe as much as Mason and I do. But this movie, *Dark City*, like it feels like it feels like the redheaded stepchild, sort of of that era. You know, I agree. In terms mm-hmm. of yeah, the. Like, you say what you want about the Tim Burton Batman movies. I'm not as crazy about them as I know you are, Mason. But there is mm-hmm. that... We, we've we strayed away so far from God's light on comic book and graphic novel movies that are truly dark and cool. Mm-hmm. And Dark City is that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean?
2: The I was just so happy with the amount of practical effects in this. Like, that mm-hmm. there were actors interacting with, like, physical objects. Like, this the big head that opens up and there's a clock there and the stranger's, like, lair. Mm -hmm. I was like, a team of people had to make that fucking thing and then have it ready to go on action. And that is just so fucking cool to me. That's the one thing that I remember from Ebert's um, um, commentary on it was just he was so impressed with the craft of this movie. And I really, like... There's not a lot of movies that you watch or that come out and get made now that you can just appreciate on that level of craft. Dune was kind sure. of... Dune, that's what made me really happy about Dune, but this is not the Dune podcast. This yeah. Dune. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you're curious, Ben. Dune is also kind of a help, I'm a protagonist story, but we don't have to get it. A little Dune. bit, yeah. Um, yeah of, um, ben, as, well, the,
0: as, the, as the bringer of this movie onto the podcast, what stands yeah. out to you about Dark City? What do you like? What do you think makes it... What do you think the secret sauce is?
3: Well, I think you guys are both totally right. The for me the what what stood out and originally caught my attention when when we were first talking about and discussing this movie in, in class was the the attention to detail in everything. Like everything is so meticulously chosen, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it seems like Proyas was, was if that's how you pronounce his name, um, was just deliberate in like everything, you know. From absolutely everything that was in the frame, every light, every reflection, every like all the blocking, like the deep focus of all the shots. It reminded me a lot of of like Greg Tolan's work in yeah. Citizen Kane yeah. and like other Orson Welles films, you know, where it's this old style of this, you know, in the in the late '90s, it was this the style of cinematography that was really popular in like the twenties and thirties. Yeah. You know, yep. mm-hmm. it, f- it feels like a, a, a film that was made by people who love movies and who want to make a movie that was like the movies that they love. Absolutely. You know, the stuff. I a hundred
2: percent agree. I a hundred percent agree.
3: And it's also just so fucking creative, like that it's an original story and that the, well sort of, but like that, the, the, the there are no original stories, but like the, the way that it's it's crafted, the choices that were made in terms of the characters, where they are, what the locations are like, it was just so inventive, you know? It is,
2: and it's, like, it uses, it has these, like, reference points to 20s, that's a great point you made, Ben, um, but there's these clear references to, like, that, like, kind of, like, maybe, like, German expressionism or whatever, you know, like, that kind of stuff, but it doesn't overpower like what the movie is about, you know. Like I'm just thinking about the yeah. awful Frank Miller Sin City, not Sin City, The Spirit. That, um, you know, um, that that did you has, have either of you seen The Spirit? <laughs> you know what I'm talking no, about? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, uh, it was this comic book movie that Frank Miller directed, and he was like just really high on his own supply in that movie, and like over stylized it, like over stylized gotcha. it, um, with just. I remember, like, I was watching, like, on Apple.com slash trailers, I think, or on YouTube or something like that. Let's go. There's, like, a behind-the-scenes special uh, or featurette of, like, Frank Miller, like, making that movie and designing it. And he literally would be, like, sh- shown something from, like, the art director or something. And he would just be like, uh, that's the coolest thing. Let's just put it in there. So now there's just, like, this mix-match of shit. But to Ben's point about, like, how intricate and detailed this, this movie is it goes down even to, like... Like, one of the scenes that really... That I loved was just... Um, or An early thing that I loved in this movie was when William Hurt's character, the detective, uh, who I think is a, tr- a tremendous... Uh, this is That's oh, a yeah. tremendous role for him. He's really good in this. Everyone's really good in this. This, is, this movie's fucking awesome. But when he, like... This is a movie about, like, paying attention to, like, those details and, like, kind of rewards, rewards you paying attention to that stuff. Um... At least the director's cut was, I felt. But Noah, I'm curious. You didn't watch the director's cut at all. You just watched the theatrical. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen that in years. But what was your impression of, of the theatrical cut?
0: Um, I don't care about this movie story at all. Truthfully. Like, I don't. I was engaged on a craft level, much like we were talking about with Basic Instinct when we talked mm. about Sunny, where it's like, damn, they made the shit out of this movie. But I'm not as interested as I wanted to be in terms of, like, the... And not to say the actual plot, but just the... I'm not that interested in John Murdoch as a guy. I'm more interested in just watching him run around the world. Like, that's what I'm more interested in, in this movie, than I am in the characters themselves. Not into the Kiefer Sutherland... Whole thing that's going on until kind of the last act of the film, more or less. Like, I that's the most engaged I was, like, on a story level, you know, the entire time. But I didn't, I felt a little bit like dorm room hashtag high thoughts philosophy a little bit. Uh, when they're talking about the like cave and stuff like that, I was like, okay, clearly, this is some Plato's cave shit. Like, clearly, this is like what they're doing. So to me, that's like where this thing kind of falls apart for me a little bit. But I enjoy everything else around. Like, if this movie was literally just like a giant chase scene through the world, I would have enjoyed that more, to be honest with you, and just sort of watching that. Yeah. Than I am with like, there's this race of creature and they're, you know, doing all this shit. Like, I understand like what's going on in like like an intellectual level. Doesn't hit for me. What I care about is the... Fucking the buildings and the shadows and the lighting okay. and the in the blocking that was more interesting to me than yeah. the story going on here. Maybe that's a hot take. Maybe that's not. But that's just kind of where I'm at with Dark City.
3: I I hear you. I mean I, I hear, I, I
0: hear you. He- yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the get, just, you, you go, just The, the worst, just the worst, just like <laughs> shittiest. Just look on both of your guys' face. Like I just fed you a giant fucking well, stinky turnip. Like
3: part part. Part of it, I think, is also you you fell victim to the theatrical cut, potentially, where yeah. the, um, the monologue at the beginning, you know, really spoils, like, the whole mystery of the film. Right. You know, it, it explains exactly what's going on. And without that, you're just thrown into the room with John Murdoch, and you immediately... Are like what the hell's going on? Because he's like what sure. the hell's going on? You don't have yeah. you know so so you make that that you know imprint you imprint with him and his situation probably on a on a more emotional level. Sure, that would make know, sense because because you you weren't just explained what was going on
0: <laughs> for like in this just <laughs> monotone ass voice of like there's these fucking guys and they're pissed off and they're gonna do some shit.
3: Yeah, it's a great movie. I I I, I mean. I watching it through f- from start to finish yeah, f- and seeing things I was familiar with that like out of context, you know, like LinkedIn mm-hmm. with the film and with the, the pacing. Um, I mean, I, I was, I was taking notes through the whole thing and it's like, there are just so many things that were, that surprised me about how it was put together um, mm-hmm. that I think, you know, we could, we could, Probably talk for a couple hours about it. Like the specifically, some of my notes are, are like the the production design. Obviously, yeah, amazing, fantastic, amazing. just amazing. incredible. Um, so that was that was Patrick Totopoulos.
0: shout he, out, um, shout out.
3: He's he's done a bunch of bunch of different stuff, but um, Patrick Totopoulos
0: as well as uh Greg Little, yeah, Greg get him, Little, get them both in there.
3: Um, Patrick Totopoulos has done Pitch Black. Which is a great, another that, great. Was that the early first uh, Chronicles
0: of Riddick? Technically, it, it was. Yeah, okay. yeah,
3: that was the first Riddick movie. So that was the first film with Vin Diesel as Riddick. Um, great, great movie. I love it. It's, you know, definitely hard sci-fi, and weird and dark, but still awesome. Okay. Um, he did like Independence Day, Seven, Stargate. So, you know, he's got some stuff. Sure. Um, but the writing, I thought the writing was really, yeah, really good, um, especially with like the pacing, you know, of how they they paced the movie. Maybe it was it was a little di- different in the
0: theatrical cut. Yeah, the theatrical. Um, yeah. I'm I'm not there with you about the writing you, on the theatrical cut. personally. in the
2: theatrical cut. My impression is they're really trying to get you in and out of that movie as fast as they can. Like that's yeah. my impression of the theatrical cut. In the director's cut the pacing is so much better and serves that story so much where you can just like be in this world and just like kind of um, I guess vibe with it is the best way I can think to put it you know yeah, you can just kind of sit um, with it yeah you, you really just, feel like you're marinate. in this yeah you're in this world because um, that is like I did feel like kind of genuinely transported into the world of this movie like watching the director's cut it felt like so whole and complete um, in, a, in in a way that like not a lot of movies are brave enough to do anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, I, and it's just because like, there's no, no one with the power or the money to green light some other, ver- like something else like this, um, feels particularly inclined to do it because it's just a little bit too fucking weird. And then though, if it does get made, it'll be the version that Noah saw, but man, <laughs> we can all agree on the craft being impeccable in this thing. How do you yeah. guys feel about the score? Score was
0: great. Yeah, score is really good. Score Score is really good.
2: good. It's interesting that because it doesn't
0: stand out to me. Like when I think, like when I think back on the film, the things that stand out to me are the production design, the lighting, and you know the just the general construction of this world that we're in of this dark city. But that's like when I think back to particular moments, I'm like, oh yeah. Shout out the score. It kind of gets. I feel like it almost gets lost in the sauce of everything else that's going on. A little, yeah. Bit, you know, well, it
3: doesn't like. It's kind of the opposite of Dune, which Dune is where the score is like, "Yo, look at me.
2: right I'm fucking Hans that's that, Zimmer. That's that Zimmer style, baby. That's I'm them going yeah, Zimmer with
3: it. That was like Zimmer on crack, dude. He was just like was like, yeah. "Here's a scene of a Dune. Here's a million women screaming." Let's go. You know, like, Let's
2: go. Is the Sardacar chant? This is I did how my, you should My feel. one note, <laughs> my my note for uh Vinty Trees, the last song in Ten Thousand Days, is uh-huh. just car chant. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. sure. yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I'm sure if I've, I'm sure if I've seen Dune, I would have liked. I would have liked that one, you guys. I'm- I'm not there yet. I'm not maybe maybe won't even ever see Dune, but that is a literally an entire different podcast about you guys pinning me to the wall, just pecking me with like birds beaks. we Ludovico like,
2: techniqueing you to and watch and putting on Dune. Yeah, exactly. I put on Dune, my arakis.
0: <laughs> oh my, Jesus Christ! My Dune. My Dune. That's so scary. But yeah, the, so, sc- the score the score like it gets lost in the shuffle for me. But it's not bad. It's good. I liked it. You know. It's good. It was good.
2: I think it was in a couple trailers. I remember like some of those like kind of more intense like jew, 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 jew. Was it was being like in tra- action movie trailers from around this time. Um Yes. What's up, Noah?
0: No, no, no. What's up, Ben? What's
2: up, Ben? The,
3: the editing. I'm a big editing stan. Yeah. I think editing as You many, stand for editing? I stand for editing. As as many people, especially directors, know, the edit is like probably the most important thing because yep. it's the thing that actually puts everything together so the edit of this film specifically the director's cut um was for me worked so well with just how yeah. the the movie was structured and paced and what was shown um especially combined with the amazing cinematography from darius Wolski. yeah like was just a visual like just give me more give me more give me more i
2: I felt like watching the director's cut. One thing that I noticed was like, and was, that I really appreciated was that like each co- like it was so easy to follow in a way, mm-hmm. uh, like in, because it wasn't hand feeding you. It wasn't this going, here comes the exposition choo, choo, choo. It was like creating a different, like visual audio, like kind of strategy for mm-hmm. each of the different worlds. Um, like how, um cold and and uh, mechanical the stranger's world was and then the like how kind of um classic like noir the bumstead kind of portions of it looked and then like the kind of like uh uh, uh art decoy freaky or kind of um anton Firsty throwback stuff was like or the 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 production design for the other like the i just liked that this movie like created different worlds with like and was like detailed and so um thoughtful about how to delineate between these places that made it super easy to follow and just again let you just enjoy the craft of this fucking thing. Well, and well, f- yeah. For those who haven't seen
3: it, the the film is, yeah. is I don't know if, it,
2: if we should it, talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> what the movie's we, about.
3: We sh- the film is about basically a guy who wakes up in the city he has no memory um and then he kind of has to he he has people chasing him so the the whole opening sequence is like weirdly similar to the matrix yes um yeah because it's phone booths. yeah there's phone booths there's a guy waking up somewhere he doesn't know he gets a call you know then there's people chasing him and it's like what you know what what's going on um uh so that was weird that they just came out with an so close to each other, but then the yeah. rest of the movie is is okay. The, you find out that this guy is being chased by these people who are aliens that are possessing dead bodies of humans and living underground. And basically, like the this race of aliens is trying to figure out how to how how why humans are humans. Like what makes humans humans? Because their race is dying, and they need humans. They need to understand humans in order to survive. Um, and they're on this this is later revealed at the end, they're on this big fucking spaceship. Yeah, it was fucking crazy. The -hmm. bottom half is like a fucking clockwork, like energy amplifier, and then on the top of it is just a projection of everyone's memory. So it's a city that's made up of everyone's collective memories, which visually shown in the the film is wild because you've got like cars from all sorts of different generations. You've got buildings and forms of architecture from all sorts of different generations you have like these little vignettes that you recognize from somewhere but you don't necessarily know where and they're all in one place and every night when clock strikes midnight they do this thing called tuning which is where they like basically rearrange the world and like re-inject memories and people to you know figure out if that makes them human yeah. or not <laughs>
0: Uh, <laughs> we gotta we gotta figure out if putting a thought in someone's brain <laughs> makes them a person or not. We have to well, do this a like, million times.
3: It's like if okay, if you take take away someone's memories, the basic philosophical yeah. idea is if you if you take away someone's memories and then you give them someone else's memories, like the one of the, the, the plot points in this film is that our, our lead guy, John Murdoch, uh, Rufus Sewell, is he wakes up, he doesn't know what's going on it's clear from the surroundings and from him being chased that he just murdered a woman and that he was a serial killer and he had murdered a few women right. before, but, but mm. that you find out later that he, those, he was injected um, with, he was going to be injected with that, that memory. Um, but he, something went wrong and he woke up and he just lost his memory. So uh, like, if you take away someone's memories and then give them someone else's memories, does that mean that that person is then going to behave like the person whose memories that they got or will they still behave like their own person? Like if yeah. you take away someone's memories, what makes them human? Like, will they still be themselves just with different memories or will they be someone completely different? Right. It's an interesting thought experiment that the movie poses.
0: It is an interesting thought experiment. There's no, there's, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you that it's not an interesting thought experiment. It is. I don't know. I wish I would have watched the director's cut. It's basically where I feel like I'm I'm at now. I feel like a little bit not able to talk about it in the same way that you guys are because I did see the stupid-ass theatrical cut. But I did want to point something out. The the editor, you guys were talking about the editing of this film. Uh, the editor is Dov Honig.
3: Yeah, Dov Honig. So don't mm. interrupt you real quick. He edited Heat. That's a,
0: yes, yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Is one of my favorite... I hate that term, but one of my favorite fucking action movies of all time. Yes. And that movie I it's think so is also good. A, a master class in editing and sound design. Um but like that he also edited this movie, it just it just makes it just made total sense to me. I was like, oh yeah. yeah. And not only that did he sense. edit Heat's a nearly heat. three
2: hour long movie that you'd never want to leave. Yeah. You yeah. wanted to just like well, it's one of the best
0: I'm not as big no, on Heat.
3: No is not the you. biggest fan of Heat. I, I, I watched
0: well, it in a really bad setting because my roommate used to have these projector and speakers in our front in our the front of our house when we lived like this was like 2019 early 2020 and I remember it was a bad setup it just sucked shit like I'm just like it was like looked cool But then, like, the right side of the projector screen had, like, a pink bar that, like, you couldn't get rid of because it was just broken. Mm -hmm. And I was just, like, sitting in, like, this couch that sucked ass. And I was, like, being blown back because it was too small of a room and, like, the sound in that movie. You literally feel like you're getting shot with a gun when a fucking bullet gets fired in that movie. So, not the best first impression. And I'm also just not big on Michael Mann, truthfully. Like, I know that that's sacrilegious to say, but there's a couple movies of his that I've seen that I've liked and a lot more that I've seen that I've disliked. So that's the hot take of the episode. But Mason, Dov Honig, edited your favorite movie of all time, The Fugitive. Hey there.
2: Hey there, hey there. my friend. Hey there.
0: Not to get us too so far. So he's a great editor.
2: it's just when he's uh he's he's a great editor when the he's allowed to cut for the towards the director's wishes. <laughs> yeah, clearly. You know, which is like the, cause that's the thing. Like Alex Proyas directed I think he was still like a guy in the studio, The Crow before this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he directed um, after this, the uh, iRobot, which mm-hmm. I'm curious to revisit because I loved that movie when I was a kid. That was one of my favorite DVDs was the iRobot DVD. <laughs> um, Chicago movie. <laughs> iRobot is. I Robot is. Of
0: that. You are such a fucking homer, dude. You are such a homer. Oh, Chicago movie. <laughs> let's, let's throw it on. Let's throw it on. Fucking... Idiot. I'm sorry. Just kidding. Let's (laughs) let's 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 siphon back here. Let's siphon back here a little bit. Dark City. What else do we like about this movie? I got some fast facts. I know we're maybe not at that point yet, but what else is worth mentioning about Dark City? What do we like? What do we dislike? What do we... Everything. What's going on with this movie? I
2: think the... Like, you know, we're talking kind of about, like, the, the, the dressings of this movie, but I think at the core... For, at least in the director's cut, it's... There's still a human element to it. Like, this is a movie... This is a movie with a, a philosophical question at its center that the that, it, that the rest of the movie is, is working to um, answer. Uh, when you're watching the director's cut, at least. Um, and I think that, like, Rufus Sewell, I think, is so good in this, and the fact that he has, like, that weird eye just makes him so much, like, you buy that this guy is, like, just a li- just outside, like, off-kilter, the off-kilter person in this world, you know? Um, and I also really liked, I, but I think my favorite performance was of, was William Hurt as Bumstead, just, like, doing such mm-hmm. small stuff, like um, throughout the perform, like throughout the movie, um, and having like kind of a um, making him like kind of a noble character, so that you know what happens to him in the end. I did get kind of affected by that. I was like, oh man, that that sucks. <laughs> I want a little yeah. better for for the guy there. But I think Kiefer Sutherland, like Kiefer Sutherland, is in this, and I like him in this because most people around our age would probably just have him like in the context of like Jack Bauer or something where he's like the most tortured man of all time. He's like America's cop and he's the, like <laughs> he cannot get a single break. <laughs> Doesn't even have time to piss or shit <laughs> or have a sandwich in his day.
0: <laughs> That's true. Man. And in
2: this, he's like allowed to be like a character. Like he's yeah. allowed to be like this kind of like Igor character. Um I will say though, he does, he does, he does send it.
0: Yeah, he lays yes. it on really thick in this movie, yeah. and I'm I'm not about it. I was gonna say I don't like his performance in this movie. I think it he lays it on way too thick. He definitely doesn't toy with nuance as as
2: <laughs> He's not. No, he's not a nuanced th- yeah. He's like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: In this yeah. movie though, he at least has time to piss and shit. Let's just get that. Yeah. Out um, on the take, table and, take,
2: and take baths.
0: And take baths. He's a but huge I- bath guy in this movie. That's true as fuck.
2: How do you guys feel about the strangers as bad guys? Though I don't think we really talked about them too much.
3: So I got a point about that. I don't think the strangers personally are really even bad guys. I I would agree with that. I don't even really that's what makes them so interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's what's what's really weird is that they're not even bad guys. You just can't really identify with them because they're just weird and they're just trying to like save themselves through humans and you, you're forced to kind of identify with the humans because that's what you are but at the same time I felt like I kind of identified a little bit with the strangers because they were just trying to solve a problem yeah. you know yeah. like, like what how, how do we fix this like what What are we doing wrong like why does it keep failing like why are we dying <laughs> like, you
2: know? Yeah. once that's you true. learn like that it is yeah um, they're really compelling villains like that and I also think that just like i love that the only time that this this movie uses like it's it's at that weird point where like practical effect like cg was just coming in and like kind of doing the work that practical effects couldn't like the there's some like cool building morphing stuff in this movie that i really like and i also like just how huh sorry brazil much like yes brazil much like Brazil, um, just is Brazil let's, also keep, a let's just let's just name movie?
0: some movies that I don't like. <laughs> let's just keep let's just keep fucking
3: firing them off. How about Metropolis?
0: Yep, let's just keep naming some movies I don't like very much. Let's just keep firing them off, baby. Yep, you guys right, are really uh, good uh, on that. Uh,
3: that other Fritz Lang movie, M.
0: Yep, don't like that one very much either. Don't, sorry. Down. All right. sorry, so, sorry, don't like down. Sorry, Sorry, everyone.
3: I don't
2: like the German expressionism.
0: Uh, there are a bunch of crowds. What, M isn't the, is is the only say?
2: M that, that Noah doesn't like. Oh,
0: yeah, it's, uh, the No-E, I like Mason M and I like Noe M and other than that. Um, real quick, M. I'm looking at the, and Ben M as well. Ben M as well. Um, tagline on IMDb is, they built the city to see what makes us tick. Last night, they built this city. (laughs) (laughs) Last night, city to see what makes us tick. tick. They built this city city to see what makes us tick. Last night, one of us went off. That's the tagline for this movie. That is so fucking crazy. But that kind of does, in a way, like encapsulate what I do respect about this movie is that they do go for it. They do go full hog with the world and they do go full throttle with being like this is a dark film this is like not f- like this is like we're going full bore with this world and that darkness is cool and it does make me like mm-hmm. ache for I mean also the
3: the, the literal world. darkness too
0: yes the actual literal darkness too not just yeah. the tone darkness but like i wish that our comic book movies and our graphic novel films of today did this and what they do in the Spider-Man by Raimi films more than what they do now because that shit actually feels like a comic book. Any of the MCU (laughs) films that I've seen, that shit doesn't feel like a comic book. That shit feels like... Like a guy who's thirty-one years old, <laughs> who's going to the movie <laughs> on opening night, who, who like maybe needs his diaper changed like a couple of times throughout the movie. That's what that feels like. though what actually is cool is feeling like you're reading a comic book because comic books are cool. Sorry. So to that point, yeah.
3: I mean, this is a little off topic, but I I think that the new the new Batman, yes, with uh, with
0: Pattinson. With, with Pattinson, Pattinson?
3: Is, is going down that road. I agree. I think
0: that that's, that's, it looks really cool.
3: We're starting to see, I think, now, because so many people have that same opinion of the MCU, we're starting to see the opposite of that as yes. kind of like the response. You know, So I think we are going to start to see, finally, some more films that are like the Pattinson Batman and like this film yes. or take inspiration from films like this in this time where we're going to see more dark literally dark stuff yes. and also thematically dark stuff that kind of relates more to because we're kind of going through a sort of dark time right now you know I mean, <laughs> yes it's pretty dark like oh you don't say
2: you don't <laughs> say <laughs>
0: and literally so, dark where i'm at the sun is fucking going down and it's four thirty in the afternoon and, and where yeah, it's you are when dark. i leave
2: yeah when i leave my apartment it's gonna uh when we're done recording it's gonna be so dark and i'm uh I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, Mason loves prowling so the streets of Chicago at night, being a fucking fiend, being a, just a giant piece of crap.
2: I love putting on my Manther mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mason.
0: Oh, you went there, buddy. Love that for you.
2: You guys you
3: guys know the artist Ed Hopper? Oh, yeah, of course. Who,
2: yeah,
0: who
3: does yes. this? The, all the Nighthawks? Yeah, yeah. I felt like this movie was, like, very inspired
2: by Ed Hopper, but just dark. I love that shit, dude. I love yeah. that shit. I love- yeah, yeah, yeah. That I that like that kind of, of like it. Yeah. That kind of like urban photography of the fifties, like that kind of noari mm-hmm. look where there's just like people like there's a lot of people, but they like it all feels like so lonely in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. That's another thing I liked about this movie. This movie is like these these streets are so empty. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so empty. Whenever, yeah, except for when the strangers show up and then it's um uh, then it's a bad time. You don't want to see The Strangers. Yeah. yeah I also just like that The Strangers up. like I also just like that this is The Strangers job. You know like they have like a boss <laughs> a bunch of workers just like some some jelly but they're, but they're alien like a, guys. They're hive,
3: a, they're hive mind. Yeah it's though. a bees. Hive mind, Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like the just, Borg. Yeah. What's the Borg? Is that it's a from Star Trek thing? The Next Generation. Oh okay. No it's from sorry. Star Trek The Next no. Generation. Sorry 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 sorry. sorry. Um, what else man? I just like Another thing I noticed too is
3: how uh, – so the one one writer – let's see. I, I noted him down. Um, I think it, it was David, David Goyer. I, yeah, David Goyer. So David yeah. Goyer went on to co-write like a lot of the Nolan movies. And right. especially the Nolan Batman films. And direct Suicide Squad. Yeah, and he yeah, directed Suicide Squad. And he – like looking at this film, watching this film and then – being familiar with those, it's so clear. Totally clear. Like, what he, what he's into, mm-hmm. you know? Like, what he liked from those. Because a lot of the same... Like, this film, I feel like, was, was a melting pot. It took a lot of the shit that a lot of these people were into, and they, like, put it into one thing. Because it, it was a fictional city. It's a fictional city that can be anything. It can be a bunch of memories. Like, it's a great plot device. It is. To mm-hmm. be able to put in your favorite ideas because it makes sense, you know? It's like this it makes sense for the plot so we can use all, all sorts of this stuff. But then later you have all these other films where you're still referencing back to that, you know, the recipe that they made in that melting pot. And they're like, that was cool. We're going to take elements from that and put it in this film where it makes sense. You know, it's, it's underrated. I think in that sense where it's more influential than I think people give it hundred for, especially vi- visually, you know?
0: Yeah. We probably um, wouldn't have the same Nolan, especially Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises is kind of its own special case, but specifically those first two Nolan Batman movies mm-hmm. would not feel the way they do feel probably without this, and we wouldn't have Memento's another fucking movie that probably wouldn't mm-hmm. feel the same if you know if yeah. not for Dark City. I'm not crazy about Memento, but like you know again round them off, let's go baby. Uh, but like. You know, <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have that feeling of memento that so many people love. I don't think without what Dark City did. It yeah. on a tonal yeah. production level, absolutely gets the short end of the stick every time you start talking about shit like this. You know, because I just don't think a well, lot of people the- go to see it because it's not an existing IP that people know. You know, that's the that's yeah. why it gets the short end of the stick.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's 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 totally a a film that. I think was so influential and then also was kind of a, as a consequence of being so influential was kind of forgotten in the wake of what it inspired or sure. what people yeah. took from this film, you know, that it was kind of left behind, like where, cause it, I mean, I looked at the, I think the, the budget on it was like 20, 25 or $26 million. Insane. Which is crazy Insane to me. <laughs> and it also made, it made 25 or $26 million at the box office. So it, broke it, it like broke even. Or it made a little bit of money, so it wasn't but you never a total, want to break even, especially in the '90s. Yeah. But it, but still, though, for for a film of this, of the subject matter and of the the tone and of like what it is, and it's an R-rated movie, like that it it still succeeded in that, that way. You know, it wasn't like a crazy success, but it wasn't a total failure. Like it wasn't a total dumpster dumpster fire. You know,
0: and it also, like we it, keep saying, I think it it got you know it got the short end of the stick in terms of that opening, too, for that theatrical cut, you know, because they just made them... They basically made you start the movie 15 or 20 minutes into what the movie actually should be, more or less, like, at the start. Like, I remember, like, looking and being like, holy shit, I'm 17 minutes into this movie, and it feels like I'm 35 minutes into this movie watching the theatrical Mm. cut. So, unfortunately, you just... That's what happens when you interfere with art, because you want to make a buck Guess what? You're not going to make a buck anyway, baby So just let them do their Just let them do their fucking thing anyway Come on now
2: We know Yeah Tell them, Noah
0: Tell them Come now Boys, can I do some fast facts at this point? Please You can
2: absolutely do some fast facts I'm so ready for them
0: Oh, whoa, whoa Oh, whoa, whoa Dark City Hold on, I got to play the Hold on Dark City Dark City Love that for us 1998 new war science fiction film directed by Alex Proyas, starring Rufus Sewell, Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly. Haven't mentioned her
2: at all. She's
0: a great actress.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We should love
2: mention her. Jennifer Connelly. Oh, my God. And, I would... and ex-
3: excellent in this film, too.
2: Yes. She I can't believe we I can't believe that we uh, skipped over her. She is tremendous in this. I can't because
3: we're we're three <laughs> fucking <Yeah>. dudes. Dirty <laughs> dudes. So yeah. Only want to talk about other dudes.
0: I want to talk about forgot d- to... guy shit, not girl shit. Because Jennifer Connelly's girl shit Jennifer
2: Connelly's just A luminous screen presence Really uh, (laughs) Yeah
0: it doesn't fit the bill For guy shit Like a moth of the flame Yeah Unfortunately
2: not Yeah Also
0: Richard O'Brien Women Not a guy topic (laughs) Yeah men hate talking about women That's a classic guy thing uh, screenplay was written by Proyas, Lem Dobbs, and David Esquire. as we said. Concerned that the audience would not understand the film, they asked Proyas to add an explanatory voiceover in the introduction. The director's cut was released in 2008, restoring and preserving Proyas's original artistic vision. It received generally positive critiques, even though it was a box-off. It's funny that it calls it a bomb. Because it wasn't a bomb in the traditional sense. It just didn't make twice over what its production budget was. So exactly. to them, mm-hmm. I guess yeah. that's a bomb in in the reality of the situation. But Roger Ebert, as Mason said, expressed interest in this film and appreciated its art direction, set design, cinematography, and imagination. Some critics have noted the similarities and influence on The Matrix, which came out the, first, uh, the next year. Uh, Proyas co-wrote the screenplay with Lem Dobbs and David S. Goyer. Goyer had written The Crow, City of Angels, the sequel to Proyas' 1994 film The Crow. Proyas invite, invited Goyer to co-write the screenplay for Dark City after reading Goyer's screenplay for Blade. Blade and Dark City. Talk about a fucking double feature. That, uh, at
1: yeah. yeah. That would be yeah. a very,
0: like... That just works so well. Uh, Are but... You it, guys Blade fans? Never seen it all the way Actually, through. I've, I've only seen, seen segments.
2: Yeah. Sorry. Oh. That's a classic... My cousin Love had a Blade. VHS that always felt sure. like the holy grail to me. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that was a, I remember going to my friend's house when I was like five or six years old, seeing the Blade like trilogy DVD, mm-hmm. or maybe a little mm-hmm. old, like seven or eight, and being like, my parents would never let me watch that. Just like it's yeah. sitting on the shelf and being like, yeah. maybe I could get him to show me that while I'm here right now and I don't have to tell my mom <laughs> yeah, and dad. Of-
3: can I watch Blade? <laughs> Yo, can I watch Blade? Can I watch some vampires <laughs> can I watch, suck? Can I watch Blade and Trinity? <laughs> <laughs>
0: can we watch some vampires suck each other off? Um, Writers Guild of America initially protested at crediting more than two screenwriters for a film, but it eventually relented and credited all three. Proyas originally conceived a story about a 1940s detective who is obsessed with facts and cannot solve a case where the facts do not make any sense. He slowly starts to go insane through the story, says Proyas. He can't put the facts together because they don't add up to anything rational. In the process of creating the fictional world of the character the de- of the detective, Proyas created other characters, shifting the focus of the film from the detective, Bumstead, to the person pursued by the detective, Murdoch. Proyas envisioned a robust narrative where the audience could examine the film from the multi- perspectives of multiple characters and focus on the plot. The film's style is often compared to the works of Terry Gilliam. Some stylistic similarities have also been noted to Jean-Pierre Jeunet and Mark Caro's 1995 film *The City of Lost Children*. That's a great movie. Holy shit!
3: Have you guys seen *City movie. of Lost there's, Children*? There's one. There's one that Noah likes. Finally. Finally. Finally.
2: Ding. Noah likes. Finally, Noah likes a movie. Finally, ding slam. Uh,
0: another film inspired by Gilliam actually, Fritz Lang, and then period. Fritz Lang's 1927 film *Metropolis* was a major influence as well showing through the architecture concepts of the baseness of humans within a metropolis and general tone. In one of the documentary shorts featured on the director's cut, the influence of early German films M and Nosferatu are mentioned. And when Christopher Nolan started thinking about writing the script for Inception, he was influenced by, quote, Mm. "...that era of movies where you had The Matrix, you had Dark City, you had 13th Floor, and to a certain extent you had Memento 2. They were based in principles that the world around you might not be real." Again, at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, maybe it's because of the looming Y2K thing, like we're getting into the millennium or something, and it's like, is all this shit going to come crashing down because we as humans foibled to create a computer that can stand into the next generation? I
3: don't know. It's collective conscious shit, dude. Come on. That's where it gets into Tool, man.
0: (laughs) that's That's why Tool's here, bro. That's what I'm saying. Uh, we talked about the director's cut already. A short film entitled Mask of the Evil Apparition written and directed by Proyas and set in the Dark City universe was released in 2021 this year. During the Q&A session of that short film's presentation, Proyas had also revealed he was in the early stages of developing a Dark City series. Now that is something I'm very excited about because I think that this... would yeah, be cool. The miniseries yeah. was not really a thing that was like a viable option mm-hmm. I think for a lot mm-hmm. of creators and creatives at that time and it's perfect This is a for
3: perfect that. world. Yeah, totally. This would be This would be so good as a miniseries.
0: Um, um, if that comes to fruition, I'm checking that out give every me, single
3: give week. Give me 10 hours of Dark City and I'll eat
0: it up hundred percent uh alex proyas has stated he doesn't think the strangers are evil he thinks of them as more tragic villains what he feels are the best kind of bad guys they do what they must be done in order to survive quote and they must use human beings the way they do to find a way to continue their own species that is what i got in terms of fast facts my mercedes valuable player i'll be giving a co mercedes valuable player in this instance, if that is okay with you guys. It doesn't matter. This is my show. I can do whatever I want. Mason's show, too. Ben is our guest. He can just sit there and just give me a kiss. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Thank you. Uh, First Mercedes Valuable Player, got to go to the art department. One of the easiest Mercedes Valuable Players ever given on this show in the entire history. Production designers George Little and Patrick Tatopoulos, I believe is how we're saying that, Tatopoulos. Uh as well as art directors Richard Hobbs and Michelle McGahee. I mean, it's just staggering. It's just, I you ha, I think you have to. I just, it's like so good. And then yeah. the dark comic book and graphic novel tone. Ilk. That Batman the Animated Series, mm-hmm. this, The Matrix, the Spider-Man Raimis to a certain extent, even though it's slightly different, you know, just type oozes. of thing. It does. It's like... God damn it! We need to we need to get back to that. And like I think you're very right, Ben. When I watched the trailer for the Batman, the Pattinson the Batman that's gonna be supposed to be coming out next year, it got me so pumped because I was like, maybe that's the thing mm-hmm. that kind of kicks us back to that return a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. gives us a taste of what that can be. Those are my Mercedes valuable players. I'm gonna give this a conditional recommend. I really wish I would have watched the director's cut because it sounds like there's a lot more to be enjoyed there. So if anything that you guys heard during this episode strikes you as interesting definitely go for the director's cut i can't recommend the theatrical cut but i would be interested maybe a year or two going back to the director's cut and seeing what that's like so conditional recommend that's what i got mason mercedes valuable player and recommendation
2: my mvp i respect the production design choice i like that I am gonna go actually with Trevor Jones, the composer. Mm-hmm. Um, re- the score for this really did it for me. I was just <laughs> so when I when I was a young <laughs> Ben's... Ben's giving us the secret sauce. Ben's giving us the secret sauce. Um, when I was I was just thinking about when I was a kid my uh, godparents were season tickets holders to the chicago symphony orchestra and had very good seats and they would always take me when they were doing like a movie related thing and nice. so john williams would come and perform with the cso pretty frequently so i got to see john williams conduct Holy the CSO. Crap. it was really cool the couple times that i saw that and one of the times just to show like the importance of The score to a movie or to an action scene he showed the um they showed a clip of the uh the train section the train chase in the beginning of indiana jones and the last crusade first with no score underneath it and then with the cso playing under it and it is just crazy sometimes how just the score can just put that little bit on there um and for me when i was watching this movie um i to when i was just like there'd be a lot of times when i'm like i'm like i'm watching the images on screen and i'm feeling just so i i'm feeling what this protagonist what john murdoch is feeling the guy that has protagonist syndrome unfortunately in this movie what he is feeling and the score was really doing a lot of heavy lifting helping me get through that um this is a absolute full recommend for me full 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 recommend but just the director's cut folks director's cut is so cool it's a great sci-fi world to get lost in for about two hours of your time um Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous watch. Gives you a lot to think about, but I think it's just a pretty spectacular and entertaining movie um, that deserves to be seen. Ben, Mr. Massey, Mr. Guesty, Mercedes Valuable Player and how you feel?
3: My Mercedes Valuable Player um, will probably be William Hurt as Bumstead.
2: Wow. Yo! Uh, Respect that. I respect that so much.
3: I thought Hurt was by far the the most solid performance in this whole thing, Agreed. especially combined with, with price is mm-hmm. directing um, was really what kind of rooted me in and actually helped me be invested in the story. Cause it's a pretty cold story. Um, yeah. And it's, 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 it's a little hard to get into. I think if just at first, um, but Bumstead's character being so logical and like having such a hard time with, trying to put all the pieces together of tracking down this mystery. And like you, it, he gives you kind of like a, a character crutch to fall onto if you're feeling, you know, weird, if like everything, cause it's super weird, you know, and you're, you're like, what's going on, what's going on. And right. you're, you're after kind of, you know, I feel like you don't really, at least I didn't really identify with, with John Murdoch's character so much. I, I'm more identified with yeah. William Hertz, Hertz character and how he was looking at, um, Murdoch and it was just uh, I just thought he, he killed it he knocked it out of the park it was a great performance it was uh, you know there are some some good performances in this film and and uh, it's also nice to see William Hurt just in general he's just a good actor and I feel like he doesn't he's get yeah I just feel like he you know sometimes he, he's in a lot of stuff but sometimes not like to the extent that you know I think he deserves um, so
0: and are so we recommending Mercedes. are we recommending this bad boy
3: uh, I recommend this and I also recommend the entire band tool.
0: Oh my man. My Let's man. Let's go, this brother. Is a, this is a huge Let's huge go.
3: recommend, but a conditional recommend as well, only only the director's cut. Um I watched the 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 opening scene of the theatrical, the, you know, the theatrical cut and it's it's you
0: just you just got to watch the director's cut. Yeah. I can't. I'm going to double down on that. Don't watch the don't watch the theatrical cut. Um and now someone told you, actually, not as you're watching it halfway through, that maybe you should watch the director's <laughs> cut is also important. I'm sorry, and that no. Know. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's, it's okay. But that concludes the Dark episode of It's On The List. Ben the Dark Massey, Podcast. The Dark Podcast. Uh, ben, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your time on this Sunday call afternoon. Call me the Prince of Darkness. You just call me the Prince of Darkness. A-Tone, oh. the Prince of Darkness is fucking standing in the lobby. What are we supposed to do? I don't know. He gets, shoot him with a gun. Shoot him with a gun. <laughs> it's not how Tony Soprano sounds. It's cool, though. It's cool to say that. Uh, but, Ben, this is the time that you came here to do. This is the thing that you wanted to do the whole time. Plug anything you want to plug. The floor is yours. Plug away.
3: So, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to plug anything um, oh. really particular. I'm just going to plug more of an idea. Um, okay. My plug is that it's coming up on the holiday season. It's getting cold. Uh, There's a lot of hungry people out there, a lot of underserved people, a lot of people that are struggling uh, with money or food or whatever, especially in the pandemic. So uh, if you could take a little bit of time out of your your busy holiday season and go either help someone out, maybe make a donation, maybe go work at a local food bank, you know, maybe spend some volunteer hours helping some people out who might be struggling, uh, you know, after this this last couple of hard years. um, You know, I think that would go if we all did that a little bit, it'd it'd go a long way. So uh, that's my plug.
0: Great plug Hell yeah Amazing plug I'm gonna do some way worse plugs (laughs) I'm gonna do some plugs That don't hold a candle for that plug But they have to get done Because that's the podcaster's burden Uh, You can email us At everybodywants2 The number 2 Get on the list At gmail.com Like our friend Ryan did At the beginning of the show If the email is good We will read it on the show If it sucks shit Forget about it baby Don't even bother sending it in We won't read it If it sucks shit So far, pretty good emails. Though You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at it's on the list pod on Twitter at it's on underscore the list on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you want. Don't, but you can if you want. Letterboxd there, too, if you really want to follow me on Letterboxd. I'm there watching things, talking about them, kind of like we're doing on this show right now. Uh, And if you like hearing me talk, you can also listen to my other podcast called My Favorite Podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things. Last week, Mason was on the show. About a month or two ago, Ben was on the show talking about the Porsche 911, Porsche 911, excuse me. And this week, yesterday, if you're listening to this podcast on the day it comes out, I am concluding November with our good friend of this show, Rocky Pajarito. We'll be talking about the 2002 film *Punch Drunk Love*, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Yo, one of, hell yeah, one of if not my favorite films of all time. Rocky, same boat. Uh, as well as this is not a joke this is not a goof that's actually going to be the last episode of my favorite podcast for an extended period of time i will be taking an indefinite extended hiatus from the show so if you enjoy listening to that show there's a little piece at the beginning that sort of talks about more in depth you can go listen to that it'll be out at this point but it's going to be on a little bit of an extended indefinite hiatus don't know when it's going to come back sometime after the new year for sure definitely not before the end i mean we're End of November now, so no shit. But it'll be explained on that show. So if that is worrisome to you, or if you're like, good, <laughs> if you want to know why, and you're like, good that it's going on, I hate us, I want to know show. why.
2: It's on my favorite podcast. You can check that out on my favorite
0: podcast. You can listen to that and learn about that there. But that's the last episode of uh, my favorite podcast for a while. Those are my plugs. Mason, take us on.
2: The Barn, a podcast about the Shield, my first podcast. You can buy a t shirt from the merch link that is in my Instagram or Twitter bios, and that is at Hot Dog on both of those platforms. I'm on Twitter, letterboxed under my name, uh, and I'm trying to keep warm on the streets of Chicago. You might see me at the Gene Siskel Film Center. I am now a card carrying member of the Gene Siskel Film Center. Wow. So I'll be there uh, warming up. Or just in my apartment warming up or in your ears.
0: Warming you staying, cold.
2: <laughs> staying
0: cold. Staying cold. Uh but folks,
2: cool. as we say to end out the show, tell someone you love them this week. Do something that you love this week, and we will see you all next week. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right on me. Ooh. Ooh. Last night, one of us
1: went off.